she knows how important this this is to me and to my well-being and mental health and she encourages me to go play with my toy soldiers with my friends Lulu, uh, I am Tom Pawnee or Tim Penny, depending how you know me. Uh, one half of your host of X and One, as you may notice, Cliff is not here. He is uh, wrangling some internet issues, and uh, we waited for him, uh, but he is going to hopefully join us a little bit later. Um, thank you all for joining us, and if you're not viewing us live, thank you for listening to us after the fact. I am joined by notable Canadian player Francois. Francois, why don't you uh, introduce yourself? Hi, guys. Uh, glad to be here. This is uh, super fun. Thank you for inviting me, Tim. Uh, I am a very, no very, very notable. We probably should explain that joke at some point tonight, but uh, I am a player from Canada. I am the host of the now on hiatus Canimer podcast. Uh, we over the winter kind of stopped because we got very busy, but we are excited to start over again with the launch of 10th edition. So if you're used to listening to Canhammer, we will be back. We are not dead, despite what people might say. And beyond that, I'm a big fan of this show. And um, I am a 41 year old dad with two kids and a dog and a minivan and a, sub a house in the suburbs. So uh, I feel like <laughs> these are my people that I'm going to be talking to tonight, and I'm so excited to be here. Awesome. Yeah, why don't we, because uh, I'm I, it's starting to fade from my memory now. How about, uh, you, why don't you just go ahead and explain the joke? Oh, so <laughs> this is a while back now. I Whenever Votan like when came we, out. It was almost like when we first started the server, I think, maybe. Yeah, it was, it, well, whenever Votan came out, like within a month of that, because there was a GT that I went to, with Votan that weekend. And as Jeremy was doing the stats on the main show, Jeremy, keep in mind, had been judging and organizing that GT. So he was there. He was going through the stats and going through the Votan stats. And then he said, but that doesn't matter because no one notable played Votan this weekend. <laughs> to which I'm very grateful to Anthony, who reminded him that I had just finished second at a GT with Votan that very weekend, a GT that Jeremy ran. So this is the, uh, the origin of the notable player joke. Awesome. Yeah, I always start to forget that one too. But yeah, that's definitely. God, you're just bringing me back to dark times of Votan launch. <laughs> hey, so at least, at least they never launched in their original state because I played the original state and it was not fun. I played against it. I, I played the original state too, and I, I can't believe people like defended that. Um, I played it with a super major winning Tyranid Leviathan Warrior spam list, which at the time was the Apex predator and i was just off winning a super major with it and i was never in the game i had never any chance of winning that game from the first dice roll it was very depressing i i played into it with a um herpetrax one big knight uh one desecrator and then 10 war dogs list and the very first votan shooting phase i lost four war dogs to secondary beam damage <laughs> yep <laughs> that'll happen See, so when you start complaining about 10th edition and how unbalanced it is, people, remember, this always happens. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll see. I am a, I'm a little bit concerned with all the rerolls and automa 
automatic wounds and devastating wounds that I'm starting to see, but um, maybe it'll be fine. Yeah, the the devastating wound keyword seems to be a little bit too prevalent. GW seems to be doing that thing that they do where they come up with a cool concept and then proceed to overuse it. Yeah. Um, Blast is a little interesting too. One, it starts about five models sooner than I thought Mm -hmm. it would. Mm -hmm. Um, So so if you shoot a unit of five, you get like D6 or D3 plus one shots. You know, if you shoot a unit of 10, it's D3 or D6 plus two. Um, And as opposed to... Uh, ninth edition blast where it was mostly like a variant smoothing mechanic this one just is like the it's kind of like when they change melta from 2d6 picaius to d6 plus 2 mm-hmm. it just it just scales um and in some cases it's, it's better in some cases it's worse but it's it's punishing to smaller units which is a problem uh, blast usually uh, you, you sometimes it came into play at six models if you were dealing with mm-hmm. D3 blast, but usually it was 11 more. Then that's when you really had to worry about blast. And, and now your unit of five intercessor, all of a sudden you're getting plus 30%, plus 20% more shots fired at it. It's going to be interesting. I mean, at least it's an interval, it's at intervals of five. So you don't just like immediately screw the pooch when you attack, attach character to the unit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty Don't. sure that I'm pretty sure they they thought about that one because attaching characters is we're going to do that all the time now and mm-hmm. you know the old blast would have been particularly punishing for that because if you have a ten man unit and you attach a character all of a sudden you'd be shot full blast now that that's shot. Fine. full shots um I mean that's a that's a pretty good segue I think um, of all those stuff um, of all the stuff that they previewed for tenth edition or the stuff that is obviously you know we have. We have NDAs that we do have to protect and everything, but there is stuff that is just out there. Um, what are you excited about? What are you anxious about? Because um, we're kind of like obviously rain duck edition right now. Yeah, on the whole, I'm optimistic. Um, I, maybe I'm just an optimistic person in general. <laughs> Anthony likes to to make fun of me and say that I always see too too positive, but I the rules seem better than they were in the sense that they seem very clear. There seems to be less muddiness or nuance to the rules, but not nuance is the wrong word. But I mean, there seems to be, they, they, they are written very clearly. Uh, I'm a big fan, for example, and this is probably the best example of that, of the way that they're doing stratagems, where it's very clearly laid out the, the, the who, what, when, where, right? Where they're telling you, this is when it happens. This is what happens. The, these are the conditions. This, these are the exceptions. And you just glance at the strat and it's super clear. So I'm a big fan of that. Uh, as far as the the changes in general, I think the addition, as much as we like to make fun of GW for what they say, and you know they said what uh, simplified but not simple, I think is what they said, and, and we make fun of them for that. I think to a large degree that's right, though. And I say that from the perspective of a newer player. Right. For those of us that have played the game for years or decades and that are intimately involved with every aspect, every nook and cranny of the rules, and we know how they work and we know how to exploit them to their fullest and get a tease out every little advantage we can, it does maybe feel bad that you're losing some of the, for instance, subtlety of the fight phase where you can't pull the, the like really great tricks that you used to be able to pull. And then the, the, the first uh, identifier of a great player in ninth edition is or was what they do in the fight phase. 
can they set up a multi-charge so that the interrupt isn't punishing because they've put their models in exactly such a way as to make the piling and consolidate inefficient, something like that, right? There was a lot of subtlety and nuance there, but it felt bad for new players because it made no sense. Trying to explain to a newer player that you're charging both their characters and their unit and you're placing yourself equidistant to both and you're slapping the character but consolidating into the unit so now the character can't fight back and couldn't intervene. That was a terrible time, right? <laughs> this this makes no sense logically. It, it shouldn't. I mean, sure, it's not like this is a realistic game, but it made no sense. And it was very hard to explain and it led to a lot of feels bad. Now, there's still subtlety in the movement and charge and consolidate and all that in 10th edition. But to me, at least, it feels like there's going to be slightly less feels bad. And maybe that's naive of me, but I'm looking at it from that angle. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree with that take at all. Um, there was definitely times, you know, when you like where you're doing stuff where you are um, piling out of combat, you know, or so. I say piling out of combat, but what, what you're really doing is you're consolidating into something that's already fought and out of combat with what you're scared of, or you're piling, um, you're piling out of you fighting something and, you're, and then you're consolidating um, out of that combat into combat with something like a vehicle or something like that, which is not going to do any damage to you or just something you're not scared of. Um, or when you're doing the thing where, you, you know, you're charging two units to prevent a heroic and then you, you know, do the whoop. You know, head fake and you pile out that kind of thing. Um, that the game always came to a screeching halt versus newer players. Like whenever you did that, and you and you and that's basically when you found out that like, you know, because the game is taught tribally usually, um, and people just learn the game, and then however they learn the game based on their region and their play group, that just gets reinforced through repetition. Um, and very rarely does anyone actually like crack open the book. And look through like the four pages of text. Be like, oh, we'll see subparagraph B, sentence A. You actually like did this quite wrong because it actually means this. Um, so yes, I, I do agree. It's going to feel a little bit bad, um, but we lost a lot going from in combat going from eighth edition to ninth edition. Um, I think on the large, it was better for the game, and I also think that it was more. It helped get the new blood, new players in, and the game has exploded. Um, if you've been paying attention to the last two episodes, I think of Stat Check, they've talked about it. Mm -hmm. um, about forty-four percent um, new individual, unique players um, going to events since this time last year. So the game is growing. Um, I think that any game that wants to even attempt to build itself as competitive, um, whether whether GW intends this game to be competitive or not, um, I would argue that I would argue that they, I would argue that they don't, or that people who do want to um, make it competitive are probably operating with one hand tied behind their back because there's a lot of deferring opinions at GW headquarters. But mm -hmm. GW is a black box; so we can't really see into. It feels like there's definitely people who see the value in competitive at GW, but it's not the main goal of the company. Correct. Um, Regardless, I think at the end of the day, as long as you have one person versus another person in any type of game, there's going to be some um, fraction of the user base that is going to try to make competitive events around that, regardless of what game you are. And at the end of the day, competitive or not, all people really want is a tighter, more sophisticated rule set. Um, so in, we're kind of two steps forward, one step back from that. 
And I think that's good because any game that bills itself as wanting to be competitive, um, either by the company or by the community, needs to constantly be bringing in new blood. You need to be accessible to newer players. And despite some of the uh, obtuseness, I guess, uh, obfuscation, I don't really know how to word it, of breaking into the game, you know, it's kind of like, hey, you need this $60 rule book and then you need this mm-hmm. like, you need this $20 supplement that you can't buy anywhere for your Space Marines and you need this and that and that and that, you know, no, you have to look up this PDF and download this thing, blah, blah, blah. People will still manage to break into it, 44% at minimum, because that's just com- going to competitive events. It might be more than that casually. Mm-hmm. And casual players are important too because casual players eventually become competitive players once they overcome whatever that boundary is that prevents them from playing. Some of them just don't want to. Or some of them play like slow grow leagues or they play um, campaigns or stuff like that. And they, they break into that social aspect and then they find out that the RTTs are basically the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think overall that's important. And from 8th edition going ninth edition, we lost a lot of combat finesse. And we all cried about it for about two or three months. Then we got over it. And honestly, I can barely tell you what we lost in that transition. I'm, yeah, I'm I don't hoping remember that, either. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping three years from now, I'll, I'll, I'll feel the same way. Yeah, um, I just hope. I just hope that they basically just, you know, tweak the balance um, and then, you know, balance, you know, combat and melee to adjust for it with the balance passes. That is the worry um, because that was, of course, all that subtlety of combat phase jank was what was propping up melee to a large degree. It's, I think, I fully think it's possible to balance shooting and melee properly, even with 10th edition rules. Will they get get it right on the first pass this i'm much less optimistic about yeah i think it will i haven't seen the secondaries i still haven't really grasped the the new missions or what they previous i didn't i'll be honest i just skimmed i was on vacation um so i just skimmed the article but um usually the big risk reward for melee um assuming we just ignore all the extra um jank and everything is you do get more movement even if you're not doing jank you are You hit a charge, your models move forward. Um, when you shoot something off an objective, you're just taking their models off their objective versus when you charge onto an objective, you're taking their models off and you're replacing with yours. And now your line of scrimmage, the front line of your army has is up forward. Um, and I don't so, believe that GW has previewed the mission cards yet, so we can't really talk about them. Uh, but yeah. they are most likely going to be it's very similar to the Tempest of War cards that are like playable in ninth edition. And those do reward you for actually doing things. And that means taking a board position. So from that point of view, Neely might or probably will be still a very important part of the game. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, and depending on what day it is, I've, I've kind of gone back and forth. I don't usually do, but sometimes I've been a little bit pessimistic about the edition change myself. But I do have to remind myself that they are doing balance passes every three months and they said they're going to continue to do that so as long as they keep the word i feel better about that um and at the end of the day it is a game of movement and risk mitigation so even though some finesse or blah 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 might go away it's more accessible to newer players the core elements of risk mitigation and risk mitigation and decision making and movement are still there so i think at the end of the day it's still going to be warhammer 
Yeah. And every edition change so far has been a step in the right direction. They've all improved on the previous edition. I've I've started playing Warhammer in uh, the early 1990s with uh, Fantasy 2nd Edition, I think. And mm -hmm. then I took a break when I was in, in college, so I didn't actually play through 6th and 7th Edition 40K. I played 2 through 5 and then 8th and 9th. Uh, but every time I talk to one of my friends... And they tell stories of what 6th and 7th edition were like. It sounds like an awful game. <laughs> it sounds really, really bad. So let's remember that the, the, you know, the arc of history is trending in the right direction when it comes to edition changes. Yeah, absolutely. I think I, uh, I started collecting in 2nd edition. I started playing in 3rd. And then I took a long hiatus, came back at the tail end of 7th. Um, I say come back. I was about to come back. I had all, I got all the models. I collected all the books and everything. And then I got online and I started Warhammer Seventh Edition. And just imagine what it, imagine what that Google search looks like at the end of Seventh Edition. And I was like, yeah. Mm. So I basically waited till Index Hammer Eight. And then I, I, I did I the same. I actually played a little bit of Sigmar for a while, just because Sigmar came out just before at at the tail end of Seventh Edition 40K. And I played a little bit of Sigmar before I jumped to 40K because Seventh Edition wasn't something I wanted to touch. Cool. Let's. Um, normally, we do the questions at the end, but man, we actually have a lot of questions. I kind of want to jump into them, um, sure. and then we can get. And I, I'm going to address yeah. my cabinets that Anthony is commenting on in the chat. Yes, I'm at my family's cottage, which was built by my grandfather in 1953. So uh, the decor is uh, very, uh, <laughs> very outdated. <laughs> but I won't turn the computer around because there's going to be glare from the window. But the view is really nice out there. Bro, I love it. Like I said, the, when we bought our house in California, it was a it was a little ski chalet up in the mountains, and it looked just like that. Um, some parts of it still do. So I am here for it. I love this. I, uh, I wouldn't change it for the world. So uh, first question from Brendan. He says, Knights look sweet. What is the X1 team's thoughts on the night preview? It looks real strong. Um, yeah. So <laughs> we are going to have to find out if GW meant reroll one hit roll of one and one wound roll of one or all hit rolls of one and all wound rolls of one. And it's unclear right now, although the way that the rule is worded, it would be a singular one. If it's all of them, then knights are really powerful. Uh, the changes to obscuring made big knights um, feel much less bad because getting shot at by something you couldn't shoot back as a big knight was always a huge feel bad. So that just helps them right there. Remains to be seen how the uh, huge increase in toughness will pan out. But in a vacuum, toughness 10 army gears sound real strong to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, if uh, if Melta is strength 9 and doesn't have anti-X keyword, then that's, mm -hmm. that's a big deal right there. Um, I don't think... And this is one of the things. It's very easy to like look at the rules and... Look at the rules here and look at the rules here and being like okay well this is t10 or this is t12 but you can do this 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 and this and we're like we play the game where i have everything's in range everything has infinite support everything all your spells go off everything has infinite cp and it's kind of like i don't doubt that any army in the game will be able to put down on if, if you let an entire army tee off on your knight i have no doubt that any army in the game will have a problem killing an entire night one night a turn of course yeah. the real issue is how well how well will they deal with it when you aggressively push into them with your entire army and then they take casualties and then 
And then they're trying to, with whatever's left and whatever's in position, out of position, whatever, try to kill, deal with multiple threats that you're overloading them with while you're actively disrupting it with like defensive stratagems or like dread tests or stuff like that, um, or pieces of terrain, so on, et cetera. Um, that's where I think having multiple high toughness things will come to its own versus like the devastating wounds, the automatic wounds, rerolls, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I'm excited for, for Imperial Knights right. because I started having success competitively in eighth edition with knights. I think this is this was the case for a lot of people because knights are an easy enough army to pick up and they're kind of a lot of people's first tournament army, I think, or maybe that's just me and where I live. Um hey, Cliff is here. Your internet's back. awesome. You won the fight. Hold that hold that thought. Keep keep going, friends. I'll keep going, friends. Welcome, okay. Cliff. Um yeah, finish that thought because we are on question number one and we're just gonna keep that inertia. Yeah, we're so gonna roll. Keep going. Keep going. So uh, to me, knights, even though I haven't touched my knights for years, they, they're an army that I enjoyed playing for a long time. So I'm, I'm happy to see that they seem to be good and fun and probably not broken OP, although that remains to be seen. Yeah, we honestly, we I've seen a lot of stuff and there's definitely enough like things for most of the faction previews and then some of the leaks again, which we can't, unfortunately, we can't discuss here. Um, but there's enough stuff out there to make me like raise an eyebrow, but also at the same time, I can say there's things that that cause concerns and raise eyebrows, but also I'm not gonna like commit to any super hard hot takes um, until I throw it on the table. Just how it goes. Like I, it, lethality does look like a potential concern though, game wide. Uh, Cliff, we're we're on very welcome back. We're on very first question of knights. Uh, oh boy, like what do we think? The, how do you feel about the preview? Uh, yeah, real good. They appear, Francois. I think. I think based on what you just said, we're probably in alignment. Like they look fun. They look like not too bad. They look appropriately lethal based on those data sheets, in a way that seems like knights appropriate. Um, that Canis Rex data sheet bangs. That seems awesome. Um, really like the six up field on pain that converts into a five up later in the game if you do what you need to do especially given i'm like tim i'm sure you've alluded to this already but like the proliferation both of just straight up moral wound output high thousand suns preview from earlier today um and just like devastating wounds and how often that appears to be an option or like able to be placed on units so far from what, we, what we've seen um having the ability to like have your units on the table and like have some level of defense against more wound output. It looks like it's going to be really important. It's nice to see your knights won't just get like flat nuked off the table. Um, yeah, the design choices seem cool. They're just like cool. Everybody's Tyrannus, and also uh, here's a much simpler way to track uh, the Shavara code stuff. It's great. Yeah, simplifying that stuff is so good. Yeah, yeah, I'm. I'm uh, yeah, I'm. I'm hype. I for whatever reason, like I just couldn't quite get into Imperial Knights. But I love Chaos Knights. I don't know. <laughs> I really shouldn't have this weird hang up, but Chaos Knights are just so freaking bleeping cool. They look, um, they look cooler. <laughs> they're so cool, man. Well, just the whole concept of everything. Um, and also, like, I don't know what it is. Like, I very rarely do I say about this, but the Chaos Knight faction community. It might be just be like the most laid back group of people I've ever seen in my life, barring like orc players. They're just yes, it's such such cool models. <laughs> on the um, table as we speak. The biggest thing I'm most excited about for Chaos Knights is I'm glad they they kept Dread, uh, even though obviously it's yeah. simplified for 
um, indexes, but I thought that was such a cool mechanic. It just really felt like this kind of like encroaching kind of like things are just getting harder for you. Like it wasn't just a flat wall necessarily of stats, but it was just failure points started stacking on as you, as the armies thinned out and as units got more and more isolated from each other through the course of the battle, it just became harder, you know? Um, and it was like, a, it was a snowball effect, but it wasn't like an oppressively one, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was really cool. I'm glad they're keeping that. The biggest thing though is, um, last this, in ninth edition the knight despoiler which is the chaos version of the imperial knight one guns or double up in the guns whatever it was so prohibitively expensive mm-hmm. it almost felt like a forge world unit like if you put it if you took it with like double weapons because the first it was expensive if you took it to, with two guns period but if those guns were the same gun it was cost more to take the duplicate so this thing ended up being like 600 points if you put all the guns on it. <laughs> it was it was just like never worth it. Um, and the Desecrate and the Rampager would give reroll ones to hit, but the Despoiler gave a, a heroic intervention aura for Wardogs, which like wasn't bad, but it just, you just didn't really ever see it because you had to drop like two Wardogs to take the thing. Um, so one, all those guns look better. Um, I have I don't know anything about the points, but... Um, I think it'll be cool where we start seeing like, you know, the abominant looks way better. I yeah. love what they're doing with the abominant. What an upgrade, um, man. So great. Yeah, because it was just it just kind of didn't, didn't do anything. I mean, some people use it as some people use it as a distraction card effects, you know, but honestly, I think you could you could have used like a desecrator or a you know, and done matter, like throwing forward hopefully. Well, yeah, a desecrator with a with a aura of terror and just thrown it forward, and you you did like ninety percent of the stuff, and then you also had a real ones to hit aura, and you were good in melee, like, and then randomly randomly you might actually kill someone with a gun. Um, <laughs> so I think overall it's just I just like what it does better. Um, I might even run two. Um, so yeah, just I'm excited about the spoiler. I'm excited about the abominate, and I'm just excited about chaos things. Yeah, so very excited. It does that. seem like they did a good job. Um, this sort of alludes to what Anthony mentioned on yesterday's show about like good things that came out of ninth edition. They're, they seem to be doing a good job of like preserving the faction flavors, even though they're in like drastically simplified forms, which is great. Yeah, which, it with that. which I which I love, because that's that's a big appeal of like Warhammer, right? Like whether you're casual, where you're yeah. there, so at some point you pick a faction, like and unless you're like the 1% of the 1% and you're just kind of like, well, I'm just going to take this army because this is what I need to win a major. And even then, like talking to like John Lennon or something like that, like, you know, Siegler has favorite factions. Anthony has favorite factions. Ennis has factions. His faction. He certainly has factions he hates. Um, John Lennon has factions he loves. Like all of us, you know, it's like have factions that resonate with us. And when you play those factions, and when those factions are doing good, like that feels good. You know, I think I'd rather go. I think I'd rather go three, three and two at a GT with a faction I love, than go four and one five zero with a faction I hate. To be honest. Especially if I really have to grind for like one or two of those wins, like I would. Yeah. I think I'd. I think I'd rather just play the faction I like to go three two. Yeah, you know. Sounds fun. But but honestly, like winning events isn't as important. I don't know winning events is cool, but winning a GT is not as important to me as it was a couple of years ago. Um, so this that's a pretty good time to pause, I think, uh, because we skipped the "Hey, what have you done since the last time I saw you?" thing because we were <laughs> kind of way on you. So Cliff, uh, newcomer, sorry, I hit my mic. Hey, um, sorry. R- rest in peace, headphone users. Cliff, um, what have you been up to since the last time? I think it's been three weeks. I know. Um, 
finished up Chaos Knights to like close out this slow grow league, which is really cool. Yeah, they're so rad, man. Like I've been using it as an opportunity to mess with sort of really rusted, corroded, rundown vehicles. Um, so it's been simultaneously an opportunity to learn like how to play like a great new faction and use paint up some fantastic models and you know stretch my hobby skills a bit. That's been super fun. Um, really just sort of like analyzing all of the releases, the little faction previews to see what we can glean based on what they give us, right? So like like the Knights preview comes out, you're like, all right, cool. I can sort of know like what the baseline looks like for baseline data sheet looks like for Questorius Knight, have a sense of what it looks like for Armagers, um, and start making conclusions from there. When they busted out the Despoiler and the Chaos Knights, and you're like, all right, cool. Now we know what all the weapons look like, assuming that Imperial Chaos stuff looks the same. Like just trying to like suss out, all right, if this does this, trying to figure out the combinations ahead of 10th releasing. Um, and then just fanboying out over the Custodes release, which I'm like super excited about. Um, yeah, that's it. Really just this slow grow crusade thing, hobbying. Played basketball for the first time in like a year yesterday. Oh, yeah. uh, like real, like I'm shoot, shooting around and stuff, but like not like full court for two hours. And uh, that was quite physically humbling <laughs> this morning. <laughs> My dog was definitely looking at me like, bro, like, are you good? Like, do you need, <laughs> you need a break man? Uh, during our I walk mean, this morning? It was tough. I would definitely, I would definitely rate basketball as probably up there. I would say easily top three, like most demanding uh, sports. Yeah. I would cool. say like at least the, the major ones that are professionally played. Cause like football, you have football, you have breaks. Um, football football like european football soccer could be close but i think with the i think with the jumping um, that's the thing yeah my achilles i think i think that i think that i think the jumping adds a lot to it um and then there's more there's more quick turns and stuff like that too so you might actually be might be a little more cardiovascular um or athletically uh, demanding yeah so yeah yeah, that's definitely leaving you gassed yeah super francois i know francois i know you weren't on the uh the episode last time but what have you been let's say what have you been up to the last month or so <laughs> uh so this is kind of a, a weird time because uh, we're in the lame duck era of ninth edition mm. so my yeah. last event was three weeks ago and i have one more in two weeks which means a five week break between events which for me is a very long time uh, i play an unreasonable amount of Warhammer, <laughs> but it's been kind of nice because since i don't know what's going to be good i don't know what i'm what i'm going to be playing i don't know what list i'm going to be using i've been painting for fun without a deadline and this week i've been painting the lion yes the primark of the dark angels and it's like a, a magnificent mini and i'm taking my time with it and i'm doing him doing him up nice and spending hours and hours on a single miniature which is a, kind of a simple pleasure that I had sort of forgotten I liked in, in all the rush of painting for events the last couple of years. So that's that's been really good and zen and relaxing. Awesome. I actually had a bunch of flush hounds right here, just in case. Yeah. Just in case one of us one of us had a lengthy monologue, I can uh, knock out a few. <laughs> um, I love it. I love it. How about you, Tim? I yeah. Well, uh, yeah. So one, uh, flesh out. Yes. Because um, I have my last, uh, my last RTT of ninth edition is Saturday. Um, I we were talking about a little bit before the show. I was playing um, 
a Team USA versus Team Poland uh, scrim game um, uh, earlier today, actually, a few hours ago. Um, and I had an opportunity to give them a zero, and I kind of goofed up. I, we were talking about it. Um, I won't. I'll talk about it later after, maybe next week or something like that, because <laughs> the game is still ongoing. But um, I goofed up and I handed them a four instead of a zero, uh, and some assets were alive that shouldn't have been. So I was kind of kicking myself for that. So a little bit of soft throwing. Um, but um, the game looks manageable right now. Um, so and also uh, it's uh, it's uh, Victor, but it's spelled with a W. I think that's still pronounced Victor. Uh, he is confirmed starter for Poland. Very good player. Um, nice work. And yeah, and he's a pleasant, very pleasant guy to play against. I've been enjoying the game so far. Um, I also just was kind of like, hey, you know, I feel like there's a skill differential here in his favor. Uh, so to mitigate that. I deployed my entire fucking army except two units of demonettes online and said, I'm going to go first. And I did. So that, yes. uh, boom skill. Issue. So <laughs> that's, that, that, yeah. that's, that's, so that's what, oh, I mean, well, I'm part of it is recognizing that I'm like, I'm like, this guy is based off track record, probably a better player than I am. So yeah. I am going to, probably tried to pull in the line and go first yeah. and I you're, did, so. you're, you're giving me bad flashbacks of going second to orcs <laughs> on dawn of war three weeks ago <laughs> but i mean like so, but i mean like sometimes you just got when you recognize no i, you I totally it, respect it yeah. sometimes your best odds are a coin flip and you take it right it's better yeah, to coin flip I, yeah. it than guarantee a loss yeah, yeah I, re- I recognize i recognize the skill differentials so i said mm, let's let's see what happens plus it's also we're, we're playing that we're, we're playing a night edition game it's Mini Cliff. It's Mini Cliff. Mini Cliff has a lightsaber. <laughs> awesome. Not a lightsaber. Okay. Well. <laughs> Not a light. Yeah, get it right, Dad. How are you? How are you? Uh, let's see. What? Goodbye. Cool. Goodbye. That cool. <laughs> get out. Get out. Hammer. There we go. Gets <laughs> cute, dude. He's um, cute, yeah. Let's see. I did a. Tr- we did a uh, trip, took the whole family uh, out to Southern California, where I'm from. Uh, the past couple of times we've flown out there, we've been to Northern California, where my wife is from. Mm. Um, so we still have the house out there. Uh, so it's a little little mountain town called Wrightwood. Uh, it's a little bit north of LA. Um, so that was kind of cool. We're qu- not quite off grid, but kind of close to off grid. Um, so we stayed for a couple of days out there. Yeah, we stayed a couple days out there, uh, went on a few hikes, um, saw some wild animals. You know, I think we saw some coyotes, uh, uh, black bear, um, some bobcats, stuff like that. You know, um, we went, did two days in San Diego, and then we did a couple days at our friend's uh, horse ranch. Uh, he works at, uh, he's an air traffic troll at LA Center, and he lives way out in the middle of nowhere, um, probably about 30 minutes west of Lancaster up in the high desert. And so he had horses there and he had all sorts of animals. So my kid loved it. And you could see this, the light pollution was so low that you could actually see the dust from the Milky Way um, oh, from Horizon Horizon. So that was, that was really sweet. Um, not Big Bear. It was in the other direction of uh, um, off the 15 from the Big Bear. Um, I wanted to, if we had a couple more days, we would have gone to Big Bear. Um, but it is kind of close to that area. Uh, so that was a really cool way to recharge. Unfortunately, I came back with a cold and I've been fighting that cold for about a week and a half. Uh, so that has sucked, but, um, yeah, played, uh, played again, uh, played a, sh- right. When we got back, played a, uh, scrim game against, uh, Dino, uh, from team Netherlands. Um, I had that game as a draw or a small loss and it was like a nine 11 draw in his favor. So 
Check that box. Played uh, half the Poland game. Got an RTT tomorrow. Uh, I'm taking board control horde mixed demons. Um, it's like 200 freaking wounds, just under costed wounds. Um, and I'm doing a show. That's it. Just loving life. Cool. All right. Uh, Cliff, we were doing this a little bit out of order. We're rolling to the questions because a lot of the questions kind of talk about 10th edition stuff. And like I said, we don't really have a topic. I just yeah. figured dad, general dad's. General dad stuff is just going to come up with questions, yeah. so we're just not going to ask. I've got a few questions that I think would right. be good for you, both for you and Francois, as like accomplished players that are killing it, and also have like you know giant real life responsibilities. But I think weave good one. weave them in as you weave them in as you want. This is just like literally just going to be an hour and a half of three dads that like nerd shit <laughs> and having a conversation about it. <laughs> uh, all right, from one of our new mods on the server and just all around awesome dude, uh, potential fungus, aka Derek. Derek, can the X one, can the X one guys pull one out for Death Guard, not getting feel no pain, and <laughs> it came back. Also, how goes Dinotopia for Sigmar Fun Times? Bro, like yeah, I, bro. <laughs> I'm hoping I. I I know Anthony has strong feelings about this. I'm hoping that they just have like some like crazy stuff that like are just like locked behind previews and we're just not seeing because normally I out of the four chaos, so I love chaos and out of the four chaos gods, I'd say Nurgle is the one that speaks to me the least. Um however, Nurgle seems like a chill dude. Um, <laughs> and he seems like the he's chill. Guy. He's chill. He really um and and he has this thing, he owns it. And then I've been reading the book. Uh, I'm working on the book, Lords of Silence. And oh, yeah. even though even though I don't think Nurgle's going to move up and how much I like it out of the four, um, I definitely like Death Guard and Nurgle a lot more now, now that I'm like halfway through that book. It's only 200, 215 pages, real short read. Um, I'm liking a lot. But yeah, pour one out. Rip. Yeah. Yep. So I, I do not like Nurgle. I think the god of pestilence would not be my first choice if I had to pick a patron. But I, I do feel for the, the, the Nurgle Death Guard players because it, their preview is kind of by far the lamest of them all. Yeah. Yeah. It, it feels it, it feels rough when their thing is minus one toughness. Mm -hmm. But most, like half of the game, the toughness is going, like doubling, going into the double digits. Well, you were so, saying earlier that the GW had managed to keep the flavor of the factions in these previews, and that's true of all of them. Except, except Death, Death Guard, yeah. Yeah, yeah, dead on. Yeah, it's. I mean, it should feel like they're like corroding vehicles or whatever, but the thing is, like, once you start getting into those like double digit um, toughness things, Reducing it by one, you're not changing breakpoints. Toughness eleven versus toughness twelve does not matter. Yeah, you're not changing many breakpoints, so that's a little that's a little awkward. Um, but like we'll see. Maybe maybe they have some other awesome stuff. Um, Cliff, Dinotopia. Um, so I've been assembling the miniatures, and they are they're like phenomenal. It's it's pretty. They go together beautifully. They did a really good job, sort of like hiding mold lines in scales and like just places where they wouldn't be apparent, so you don't have to spend a ton of time cleaning them up. Um, and I'm really excited because they look like they're going to take dry brushing plus contrast incredibly well. Um, so I'm like, do that, do a little bit of oil work, add a little glow work because I think I'm going to like slide some, I want to give myself the flex to have it on the table look like I'm running um, celestial and also the like more corporeal version. So we'll see how it goes. But so far it's amazing. And it coincides with the release of Prehistoric Planet 2, which is the new... Uh, David Attenborough narrated docuseries on Apple TV about dinosaurs riding dinosaurs is probably the coolest thing in the whole GW range. I mean, and yeah. 
those Sigmar minis in general are just better yeah. than the 40k minis. Yeah. Um, shame, shame about the rules, though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some of the 10th edition rules I've seen, I'm like, oh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was the sun's preview today, man. I was like, oh, we're just doing pick a unit and delete it. Sure. <laughs> cool. They said, they said the games would be faster. They didn't say yeah, how or why. Monkey's the monkey bomb. <laughs> Well, the funniest thing about today was watching the Thousand Sun players complain when their preview is one of the strongest what? they've shown, in my opinion. <laughs> wow, but most the of the Thousand Suns Facebook page was like, what? Not is happening. Oh, over there. that's 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 why you said the Thousand Suns Facebook because most of the Thousand Suns players I saw were like over the moon. Hype, they were yeah. super excited. They were I mean, it's, it's about it. obviously you never go to a place like Facebook for actual takes, <laughs> it's just for pure entertainment, but it, it's quite possibly the second i would say most powerful preview they've shown and uh yeah it rocks what's the first it looks eldar yeah yeah mm -hmm. yeah uh let's see what oh man i lost my spot yeah we have a lot <laughs> oh wait i found it hey. found it no i didn't i'm just stalling uh, what happens when you, when you give people two weeks to ask <laughs> questions <laughs> so many tabs um I have no idea what this means. Uh, this is from Dakota H. When will you have notable player and friend of the show, Oingo Spoingo, on the show? <laughs> Please tell me what do you guys know who Oingo Spoingo is because I have no idea. I don't know what that means. All right, next uh, from uh, Rickard. Less a question and more want to give a shout out to Francois, a wealth of knowledge and an excellent teacher of the game. Everyone should take this opportunity to ask him questions. Like ask him actual, actual questions. <laughs> and then he and then he doesn't ask questions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, from, thanks, uh, Rickard. You're the man, Rickard. <laughs> from Tivadar, who apparently has not read Rule 8 and has not put a real name next to his username, unless that's his real name. Uh, what faction... <laughs> what faction... I could be wrong. What faction or rule has been the biggest letdown of the reveals? Uh, he says Blood Yahtzee for him because he likes the current state of Blood Tithe. And second part of his question, how much does the potential legending of what were meta units curb your enthusiasm to purchase overpriced Plastic or resin crack? All right. So, biggest letdown of the reveals and how much of the Forgeable Legends has affected your buying decisions? All right. I'm, I'm going to go with the hot take first, and this may upset some people. Yeah. I think that, especially for Space Marines, they should just Legends half the data sheets. There's way too many. And I, and I say this as someone who has literally four different Space Marine chapters painted in the proper chapter colors because I'm that crazy wow. in his display cabinet and entirely too many points of Space Marines. I love Space Marines, but there's way too many data sheets. They should get rid of more of them. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think we're I think we're kind of crest of the hill where it's just kind of even from a pure business perspective, um, the potential backlash from Grog Nerds probably doesn't outweigh the confusion of like the new players like i said we we're talking about the stats before cliff joined us 44 percent new unique players from the tournaments. Uh, when you go into casual it's probably even bigger yeah, than that so i think i think we're past the time yeah i agree uh cliff uh what about you um biggest letdown death guard for sure just overall yeah. the way like again yeah. really hoping that there's some stuff hidden in the actual when they start releasing the actual index um they, yeah, the, the faction identity wasn't there. The rules are not particularly impressive. I'm just, it makes me sad, especially because, you know, like there's such a strong fan following for that faction. 
Um, mm. It just it's just frustrating to see. Uh, great great models too. But like so, so much character, yeah. It's just a huge letdown on rules front. Um, I actually liked <laughs> for dumb reasons, uh, not dumb, but just like not game related reasons. I really liked the corn uh, blood Yahtzee rules. Yeah, me too. It's awesome. Because it gave me an opportunity to spend like five days learning Python to try to calculate <laughs> all the mixed probabilities. <laughs> that day on Discord when people were doing the math was amusing. We spent a ton of time in like the, the like literal stat check subchannel on the Discord, uh, just throwing together like everyone was using a different mixed methods approach and it was pretty pretty fun to see everybody yeah, So I'm a historian, so I understood none of it, but it was highly entertaining. <laughs> yeah, it was super fun. Um, yeah, it seems good. I was excited about it. And then custodies, obviously. Like, I'm just like, um, yeah, I'm so excited. They all appear, like, all the data sheets we saw had a four-up in Balm. All the data sheets we saw, or one of the faction rules is going to be a four-up against uh, Mortals. That's going to be great. But yeah, I'm super excited. And the Trajan data sheet just seems crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, like, very excited about it. I think I think the biggest thing is because um, to answer the second part, I think we're all in agreement on the death card part. Um, yeah. For the second part, I think the biggest question for most people is probably going to be um, custodies. They're waiting for the other shoe to fall on that one. That's going to really determine how much fire support they have because uh, it definitely seems like they want to be more like melee focused yeah. slash heroic dudes. Um, so yeah, it's going to see what what forgeable stuff um, survives the jump. Um, I would have said knights, but they've always they've never managed to get the keywords right on the knights, um, <laughs> especially for chaos. But there's been they've announced that they're going to do the plastic Serastus, the tall boys. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was it's definitely made the rounds now, so I feel like we can kind of acknowledge it. There's been the rounds of a uh, picture of a sprue with Acheron, which is the flamer slash chainsword one, yep. which is my favorite um, Serastus class. Yeah. So that's cool. So maybe it'll be a multi kit. Yeah, that'd be so. That is pretty sweet. Oh, uh, quick live question. We got two live questions. Let me just show them real quick. Charles S. says, a competitive player, what does Francois think of the CSM detachment rule and how Marks of Chaos will impact the game? That's an excellent question, to which uh, I don't have a great answer because Chaos Marines is not one of the many, many armies that I own. So I haven't spent a ton of time uh, thinking about it. But the the stuff that I have read seems good. It, it seems like a actually fairly powerful preview. Uh, Abaddon's data sheet is nuts. Uh, I think he's great. The CP generation alone is amazing. So um, yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then the second question, wait, what does Francois teach? Oh, I teach history. I'm a history professor, specifically American history, though I do also teach the big intro surveys, uh, 20th century world kind of stuff. Charles says uh, they didn't show us the CSM detached rule yet. I was just memeing. Thanks for the insight. Oh. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a good thing I didn't accidentally leak it Whoops. because I don't know it. But you know, <laughs> wasn't it wasn't it that uh, that that pack thing that they previewed where you take the mortals or was that something that, else? that might have been the army rule and not the detachment rule? I don't know. They all they all just bleed together for me. Rules are rules. Yeah. Well, um, I have no idea what the de- detachment rule is, which is why I was skating around there. Yeah, I just, I <laughs> yeah, I, I just know it's been previewed. Uh, let's see. What is Francois's favorite way to eat an egg? Uh, oh, that's a great question. Uh, I love eggs. I have them for breakfast most morning. Uh, regular day, it'll be just over easy. But if I'm feeling fancy, I make a very good omelet. All right. 
Uh, let's see. Grant H. Also, uh, congratulations, one of our new mods. Um, and I think he became a mod just so we can get, get around this question. He said, what are your thoughts of this abomination, this part specifically? And it's a, it's one of our channels that we put in slow mode, but as a joke, we put it in, we put it in slow, do, slow mode for like a full day or something like that. And he's showing like that he has five, five hours. hours left. <laughs> yeah. uh, we have the fun of of uh, being in charge of a niche internet community is abusing the power in a niche <laughs> internet community in ways that are is a, harmless. That Discord is a wonderful place, but very wacky. Very wacky. Yeah, so that is that is just purely us abusing our power in harmless ways. So that's, I don't know. Can't, uh, Francois, what do you think about it? Uh, so I tried to lead a revolt against the slow mode <laughs> by telling people to go post in general, and then Nathan immediately slapped slow mode on general. <laughs> So that was that did, my my revolt did not work. Uh, uh, I do feel like it, it was necessary to slow it down because people were just going at it a little too enthusiastically in that channel. But once it got slow moded to four minutes as a tribute to the four inch movement of Death Guard, that was a bit that was tough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially yeah. since you guys with moderation uh, privileges were still typing as much as oh, you yeah. wanted while we the rest of us had to wait on the timer. And, and people had to go back and edit their comments to add stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it, it got yeah, very chaotic. Yeah. yeah, we uh, abusing our power in harmless ways is definitely one of the perks. <laughs> um, I was one of the people who originally kind of pushed the slow mode, um, just mostly because I know some people do type like with every message but uh the downside is a big part of our discord and our community is one is accountability and two making sure that everyone has like a platform or a voice um and so some people when they get excited about a subject I, myself included i like to gab i like to talk um we want to make sure that we aren't drowning out other people you know because it's it's like it can be a little bit of a net zero game like when you're speaking you're actively pushing questions off or you're you know over talking or overpowering other people so we want to make sure that especially um we have so many newcomers we want them to be able to say hey i'm so and so i just started playing the game or i have questions about this or i love your show blah 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 and then just not get immediately ignored or their stuff pushed off by someone who's overexcited and then they feel like maybe they they aren't welcome yeah. um so that was pretty important especially for the bigger more popular channels i felt uh, everything besides that, though, we're just we're just trolling. And remember, the general names are but a mere suggestion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, we are we are we are cleaning. We're cleaning up some of those because uh, we're we're getting to we're getting to the point where I like Cliff and I a lot of the a lot of the original people have just straight up forgotten the inside jokes, and the inside jokes are more just like confusing and. Can some ways kind of come across as a little bit clicky, uh, which we also again yeah. want to avoid. So there's some of them, some of them like the egg stuff will be enshrined, um, or the egg or the peach. Um, some of them were medium funny, and it's probably fine to let those go away for the sake of confusion. All right. Uh, next question, Tim. What is your hope for CK rules? Um, we kind of answered this before. Uh, this question from Dan F. Um, I just want to keep the flavor. Um, I like the idea of of um imperial knights being like a band of brothers and the kind of like you know liege and you know squire that kind of thing or ck it's more like a master and, and like and like hounds um and it's more about like individual glory and stuff like that so it's it's very hard to make 
literally two identical armies feel thematically different. And I feel like they did a good job of that in ninth, and I think that's going to continue in tenth. Mm-hmm. Uh, if anything, it will probably be even better as they figure out like what they liked, what they didn't, and they'll probably refine that. So that's my hope. Is mostly theme more than anything else. Um, power levels come and go. Uh, Francois, uh, you played the most of out of us. I'd say this edition. So this uh, we'll lead with you on this one. This is from Grant H. How have you dealt with bad interactions with players in competitive games? I.e., the other person being a sore loser, tilting, generally being a uh, unsportsmanlike. Uh, besides just calling a judge. Yeah, uh, this is a tough one. First, I'll, I'll, I'll say that it's in my experience exceedingly rare. I've played in ninth edition. We were doing. I was doing the math on on BCP recently, and I've played like over forty events in ninth edition, uh, including everything team events, RTTs, GTs, majors, etc. And I've had a handful of bad interactions at the table. But of course, those are the ones that stick with you, mm-hmm. right? And that ruin your entire day. And one unpleasant game can overwrite the positive experience of many pleasant games. And I'm also lucky that I live in a place where Jeremy tends to run the events and he doesn't stand for bad behavior. So the the enforcement is is pretty tight where I go play. Uh, But it still happens. Uh, The worst ones in my experience are, they tend to not be malicious on purpose. Uh, I've run into very, very few people who are actively bad actors on purpose, but often a bad attitude at the table can ruin your day. And it's really hard to let it go. But you kind of have to try. And the best thing I can say about that is if you're having a bad game, A, stand up for yourself. Don't, don't let yourself be bullied just because the other guy is, is demanding something. Doesn't mean you have to give it to them. This is a collaborative game. So stand up for yourself a little bit. And you don't need to necessarily stand, call a judge for that. If they're... Um, having you know i don't know you doing bad clock behavior you can ask them politely to not do that or if they're um rolling their dice uh, behind structures you can ask them to please roll in the open uh, if they're being uh, enthusiastic with their movement you can you can say so right there's a way to say so don't call them a cheat right away <laughs> but you can say oh uh, can you double check that movement it feels like that might have been a little bit far right and of course you're pretty con- convinced when you say that that they got a couple extra inches in but you phrase it in a way that's not going to make the situation worse and if despite all of your efforts at negotiating the social situation it's still a bad game and it happens every once in a while um, the worst ones are the ones where you're winning but the other guy is making it so miserable that you almost wish you were losing <laughs> that can't that can happen uh, you have to try and get it out of your mind before it poisons the next game because that's the danger. Uh, game two goes horribly. You don't want to walk into game three carrying that baggage and, and bringing a negative attitude to the table and then accidentally ruin your game three as well, right? So go take a walk, go outside, uh, go play on your phone for 10 minutes. Just do something to try and break the cycle in your brain. Yeah, I agree with all that. There's, um, there's kind of... Really can't add much onto that. I think you kind of nailed everything. I would just say, um, one, like the um, late great um, Jeff Robinson said, you have to be able to protect your fun, mm-hmm. which is how he was describing advocating, um, mm-hmm. especially because this community, a lot of um, quote unquote like nerd communities, there can be, you know, social challenges, um, stuff like that. And there are a lot of people that um, 
don't necessarily have the social tools and social experience to navigate such an uncomfortable situation or inadvertently create those situations with their lack of social tools themselves and maybe not realize it. Um, so generally, when I see this happening, um, I do the same things you do. I do it politely because you're generally, you want, you just want the, the bad behavior to stop. But also on top of that, you want to find out is the bad behavior happening in good faith or is it happening in bad faith? Um, and then if it's happening in bad faith, will the fact that you're shining a light on and calling attention to it be enough to stop it? So that's kind of step two. Step one, good fit is the cheating or misplay good faith or bad faith. Step two, um, if it's bad faith, will calling attention to it or make a note of it or ask them to stop, will it stop it? Because if it's good faith, you ask them to stop, they'll stop. You know, usually it's communication issues like that. Mm -hmm. Step three is what um, I call and some, I, I learned this from, um, I don't know if I learned it from Anthony or someone else in my play group, but they called it a failed game state, which is, um, that just kind of stuck with me. And that's probably the best way to describe it is when they have bad faith behavior and bringing attention to it will not stop it. At that point, you have a failed game state and the game is basically the, the fact that when you're just playing the game is now just performative because you're kind of like at this point tilting because you know that, you know, you're doing stuff. Maybe they are harassing you while you're doing your movements like that. And then on top of that, you have now lost the trust in them to do whatever it is they're doing. At that point, the game needs to either end or the game needs to have a judge act of judging it for the remainder of the game. If you do anything but that, um, you will ruin your weekend. I guarantee mm -hmm. it. Yeah. And, um, and thankfully, it let... is extremely rare. Yeah, extremely rare. I want to reinforce that because people sometimes have this impression that going to tournaments, you're always going to run into that guy, right? And it rarely happens. I, I play more Warhammer than is reasonable. And I can, like I said, count on maybe one hand the number of truly awful games that I've had with people. And usually it's 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 not on purpose. Give people some grace. Sometimes it's just that your opponent's having a bad day and they're in a bad mood and something's going on in their lives and and that makes them a little hard to deal with. And I'm sure we've all been there, right? So I think that yep. you know going into it with that kind of attitude is also important. That's the best thing. That's usually the two times I call a judge is that time when there's like a fail literally a failed game state. Um or when it's just like something where I just we just need a third party to just quickly make a non-biased call. Um, this happened last time I went to LVO. Um, basically, I was trying to set up Drazar to do a charge. It was a Dark Lord Armir. I was trying to set up Drazar to do a like a charge, and I basically showed the movement to show that he was he physically could avoid uh, a heroic intervention. But the there were so many models we couldn't really get a tape measure in there, and it was kind of like. Is it going to be a four inch charge? Is it going to be a five inch charge? Um, if I CP rerolled the one in a bit, like there, I, I was low enough on CP where it was going to be like a very big deal. Um, we basically kind of, I could see him get a little bit heated. I was kind of like, hey, pause. You know, clearly we are both biased at this point. Let's just call a judge over, like not touch the models and let's just get an unbiased opinion and then just keep playing. So stuff like that, just real quick, third party, hey, come in here and just give us a little measurement or a call or something like that. Yeah, and I think I might have heard this on this show, actually. But once you've had to negotiate with a toddler who's throwing a tantrum because they don't want to put a snowsuit on, <laughs> like that 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 kind of stuff at the table gets a lot easier to deal with. Yeah. If you're, yeah. for on the other end, if you're, say, interact with newer or less experienced players, 
uh, and my internet's decided to go crazy. So now I'm in stop motion for our YouTube viewers later on. Um, <laughs> I, I spend a lot of time with new folks, just letting them know, like when they're about to do something, that's not a great call. It's like, Hey, just so you know, if you do that, I will be able to do insert like aspect scan, other stratagem charge, and then like consolidate into something else. Cause they don't necessarily know the, the implications, what it is that they're doing and letting them know can both serve as a teaching moment and an opportunity to show them like, hey, like it's not like ultra cutthroat out here across everybody. Like we just want everybody to have a good time when they come in. Um, and we also want you to get better so that like in the future we can have like, you know, very much more competitive uh, interaction. All, all the top players I know play exactly like yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, a lot of times the general table stakes is that you, the quickest way to lose a game is just not knowing what your opponent's army does. And hopefully there's a little bit less of that in 10th edition, but basically there's a certain level where you go up like in a major or gt or super major where you just assume that your opponent knows everything you can do and you're just you're just trying to actually just push them into hard choices more than you are trying to like surprise them mm -hmm. so it's kind of like hey i want him to use the harlequin like stratagem here or here and he has to give something up because i'm charging two places at once right. you know or if he over if he overwatches or auspexes now he can't interrupt that sort of thing, you know? So, or if he interrupts or heroics, you know, now I can punch his character. Yeah. Cause once you get to the undefeated four and oh, five and oh bracket, people don't forget about aspects, right? So <laughs> you, you might as well not win games on the back of someone forgetting about aspects because that's a strategy that won't get you very far. Yeah. This is more yeah. RTT rounds one and two uh, yeah. considerations yeah. to make. Yeah, you're more using you're, you're using the threat of stuff, or you're forcing people into like doubles doubles uh, deals. Um, next question kind of goes into that, um, but I'm going to take this question and kind of flip it. This is from Dan F. How many times has your physical presence prevented table side violence? Uh, that's a little bit tongue, a little bit tongue in cheek because uh, all of us are big dudes. Um, but generally, I think this kind of just quick segue. Like, I don't advocate getting into a fist fight at the table or anything like that. It's not worth it. Yeah. But um confidence and the way you carry yourself and just advocating for yourself is again just like we've just been discussing about that is super key and it doesn't matter how big you are you just have to project confidence and obviously for the love of god don't square off against your opponent game <laughs> of wherever is never gonna never gonna be worth that no i i guarantee even if you win that fight you will not yeah, and we'll also there's that uh, that that uh, major in Texas where the prizes are knives, right? So you never know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm not trying to take anything out to the parking lot in Texas. No, <laughs> especially especially as a visitor. Screw that. Uh, next question from Frank: As someone who's going to their first Nova this year, what are some super major convention specific tips you guys have to survive a three day 40k tournament? Um, lots of rest. Mm -hmm. um, Sit down whenever you can. Wear comfortable shoes. Water. Lots, water. lots of water. Lots of snacks. Um, have a have a bottle of um, have a bottle of like Tylenol or Advil or something like that. And just I would I usually just take like I just pop two in the middle of the day because you yeah. you're before be you start feeling it. That's yeah. the important before. Thing. Uh, and then like good snacks like stuff like apples, granola bars, yeah. stuff because a lot of those times, especially in, like hotels or convention centers, wherever they. The food options are designed to funnel you towards their food or to funnel you towards food trucks. And then a lot of times when you have those long lines, whatever, uh, you will make like suboptimal nutrition uh, choices in the sake of time and stress. 
Um, so 3 p.m. when that greasy slice of pizza hit your stomach, that's that's not great. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, go go nuts, go nuts during dinner, but don't don't blow all your money uh, for lunch on on food that wasn't your first choice anyhow, and then have it affect like your round three or your round six or your round five. It's just it's not worth it. We lost Cliff. <laughs> And the setting is something. The setting is something I still struggle with. I, I know that I should sit more, but I'm a. When I play, I get very into it, and I pace back and forth, uh, which I do when I teach too. I have a lot of trouble just standing still, so I'll I'll end up taking a lot of steps uh, in the tournament. But uh, I need to sit more. That's the big one for me. Mm. Yeah. Well, comfortable shoes helps mitigate that a little bit. Yeah. Sure. Uh, Cliff, what about you? Any tips? No, nah, you guys covered it. Like, make sure that you're fed and fed well. Bring, yeah, bring water. Um, Drop the last round of the day and go get a massage. <laughs> That's helpful. <laughs> when you're the kind of player, that, must- when you know you're not in contention for any sort of placement in an event, feel free to like, again, you want to confirm with your opponent, like, hey, I want to make sure that you have a good time. Like, I did that with this opponent. Like, hey, man, I'm sorry. I got to call it. But. I will go over and like, we'll go over like what the score should be. I'm submitting a zero. Whatever the judges want to do for you is great. And like, let's try and find you another opponent if you want to play. And he was like, nah, I'm good. I'm going to go get some food. I'm like, all right, great. Because the other, the, the thing, there is a real feels bad opportunity there for like someone who wants to come in and get their games in and like make it happen. And if he had been like, nah, I really want to play, I'd been like, all right, fine. <laughs> I'll just cancel this thing. It's fine. But yeah, take, take care of yourself. All right, uh, next question. These are all for Francois. Uh, hey, just want to say, this is from uh, Sam Lemon. Uh, hey, Francois, just want to say thank you for your contributions to this Discord and the Can't Have a Podcast. I've always enjoyed listening to your input and view of games, so thank you. Uh, man, this is going to be a lot if I read them all at once, so I'll just do them one at a time. So sure. first question, Francois, this is your first time attending WTC. What are your expectations? What are you looking forward to the most? Yeah, I'm incredibly excited for the opportunity to go to Belgium uh, for WTC. Team Warhammer is becoming more and more my favorite way to play, and there's no bigger stage for that, obviously, than the WTC. I've heard the stories. My friends have gone before. They've told me what to expect. But I I feel like you probably don't know until you get there. but I couldn't be more hyped uh, for for going there and meeting people. And there's a bunch of people on other teams that I've interacted with online that I feel like are my friends and I know, but I've never met, right? <laughs> Which is a little weird, but I feel like that's what I'm looking forward to the most, the, the meeting of the people. Awesome. Uh, second question. You're known for army swapping a lot to your version of the most broken thing and have extensive army collections. My question is, what advice would you have for people who are trying to quickly learn a new army and get better at it? So first, it's not meta chasing if you already own the models. (laughs) (laughs) I would like to make that very clear. Sure, sure, buddy. (laughs) But yes, I've... So the, the funny thing, though, is that I'll play 80 games with an army, which is more than what people play probably in a year. But I do that in a few months, and then I move on to another army, right? So I've played and had success competitively with uh, Dark Eldar, Craftworld, Tyranids, Iron Hands. I think these are the the main four that I've played and won GTs or majors with. And, And I've played each of those for at least 80 games, close to 100 games. And nothing will ever... So I wish I had a, a cheat code, right, for learning a new army quick. Nothing will ever replace getting reps in. Even when you're 
handed a powerful army. So when I first started Drakari or when I first started Tyranids, my first few practice games, I lost and I, I was not having success. And for me, maybe I learn a little bit more quickly than most that maybe because of my background, because of what I do, but it still takes me about seven to 10 games before I feel like I know what I'm doing. So I try to get those seven to 10, 10 games in before an event, if I can. And they don't have to be full games either, right? They could be like half reps on TTS or just like deploy and play turn one and go again. Um, but you need to put in that time. And I don't think that there is necessarily a shortcut for it. Now, some armies are simple enough that you could just show up and, and win a bunch of rounds. But if you want to truly know an army and go win an event with an army, at least I can't just show up on the day of the GT and, and go win with the army without having played it before, right? That's that's just not going to happen. Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't know, something that has my first two events with Jakari, I played without Blade Artists. Because <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, you do forget those rules. Now oops. that army was powerful enough that you probably did very well, but it didn't really, it didn't really, it didn't really matter. Um, <laughs> but uh, something that helps me is like I, I. There's different learning styles. Some people are visual learners. Some people are auditory. Some people are like uh, tactile learners. They learn by doing. Um, I'm, I definitely learn by doing. Um, I can read a book and kind of be like, okay, I kind of get what they're saying here, but my eyes glaze over. I don't really, I don't absorb anything. However, after I go um, play a game or two at TTS or do a re-rack session or whatever, at least after I play at least one game, when I go back and read the book again, things start jumping off the page at me and sinking in. So that's that's what I would recommend is try to interweave um, reading your army's rules with the repetitions. Um, it's it's much easier to read the book after you have the context of playing with it um, in retrospect. That that's what's helped me a lot. And actually, there is maybe one shortcut, and this is so recently I played exactly two games of Chaos Knights in Ninth Edition, and I played an army that Tim wrote for me and told me how to play. <laughs> so if you do that, and someone gives you a list and says, this is what you do with this list, then you can shortcut some of the reps. <laughs> and, I can test that. And I won that scrim game, so thank you, Tim. <laughs> oh, no problem. I picked up that from... Um... That technique from Anthony, actually, because when we go back and forth, we talk about armies a lot. We our, our the armies we play overlap. Um, I'm going to mute Cliff while he figures out his thing. Um, yeah, a lot of times he would kind of, you know, we we just kind of go with the wave tops. Be like, okay, well, what are like the big money maker units? What are you like lining? What are you lining your units up? Because a lot of times you want to like in typical matchups, you're like, what you what units are you lining up to their units? Um, what are your big money maker strats? Generally, what do your secondaries look like? How does your deployment roughly look like? Um, I try not to get too specific because I don't. If I get my if I get too specific with the questions, I'll get into my own head when I do the practice game, and I'll get too rigid. But if I keep it kind of general, general concepts, loose concepts, it gives it gives me room not to get inside my own head um, and just kind of play the army my own way, and then. And then after that, I'll usually like I'll go back to Anthony or whatever and be like, "Hey, this is kind of what happened. This is what happened? Or are you running into this? Were you not? Blah blah blah." Looks like Cliff is back. Every time. <laughs> hey, here you're you're mostly here. Okay, so last question uh, from Sam for Francois. You often say you watch, listen to tabletop tactics videos and other non-competitive battle reports. What's the reason behind this? 
uh, I, I love the game, and the game doesn't always have to be competitive all the time. Uh, if I mean, I, all the power to you if all you want to do is all competitive all the time. But I personally think that there's a, a space for somewhat less rigid, less competitive gaming, and I, I love tabletop tactics. I've um, I don't watch them as much as I used to, but I'm a lifetime member there because I love what they do and I think they're great ambassadors to the hobby. And I started watching when it was just Lawrence and and Beard in Lawrence's kitchen back however many years ago now. Um, and to me, watching suboptimal lists being played by people who make mistake mistakes isn't frustrating if I go into watching the game knowing that that's what I'm looking for there right this is a different kind of experience now if i'm watching a tournament stream game and i see people make mistakes that frustrates me but i feel like i can flip that switch in my brain to go from the this is consuming warhammer media for entertainment and this is consuming warhammer media for competitive yeah i agree um a lot a lot of those a lot of the casual um channels the production value is also way higher yeah. oh yeah <laughs> so it's oh, actually nice. visually much more and appealing they're higher, and there's uh, there's a little bit um, there's a little bit more showmanship, and I think the only person that even comes close to level showmanship is uh, Joe from yeah. War Games Live, and even then, it's still a little bit different. Um, when I when people come to my house and then they see like you know all the curio cabinets with like all the little like models and stuff like that, and they ask questions, whatever. I'm trying to explain it. Um, the two things I usually do is I show them the core rulebook because the core rulebook has all those armies and everything like mm -hmm. that. Um, but then if they, if I still want to show them, I show them like, I show them, um, was it play on tabletop or I show them, um, you know, tabletop, uh, tactics or something like that, because I know they're going to have that production value and they're going to have that showmanship. Yeah. Cause you because mean a, a webcam taped to the ceiling with a top down view isn't appealing. <laughs> you can't, you can't really see what's going on. Um, and you're just watching models stand there. The game, the game is in our heads the models are just memory aids to like aid us in what's going on to create that structure of the game between two people um and it's just genuinely it's not exciting to look at unless there's a high hobby element to it and there's some showmanship in the commentator both of which you know play on tabletop have uh or um tabletop tactics have but your general um tournament stream does not so when I yes. show someone who doesn't care about the difference between the two, like a newcomer, I show them the one with production value and showmanship. Yes, of course, 100%. Cool. Uh, Francois, how do you balance your time between family and work to still compete at the highest level? How do you get the most out of your practice or hobby time? That's that's a good question. And um, the most important part of the answer is I have a very understanding wife and partner who I've been with for over 20 years now. And when she met me, I was playing Warhammer Fantasy. <laughs> so back then, so she, she, knows, she knows how important this, this is to me and to my well-being and mental health. And she encourages me to go play with my toy soldiers, with my friends, uh, just in the same way that some people need to go golfing every Saturday or go fishing every weekend in the summer or go hunting or whatever my outlet to stay sane is play warhammer so the 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 first ingredient of having the the freedom and time to do it is having a supportive partner without that it wouldn't happen and the second element is my kids are a little bit older now and when my kids were three and five 
I wasn't taking off for out of town weekend, six hour drive to go to a tournament, right? Once my youngest hit five to six year old, then I felt like it was it was more doable because it was less demanding and I, I felt that I was asking less of my wife. Uh, and the third element is Ottawa has a ridiculously large Warhammer scene, so I can do four GTs, a major, and a giant team event without leaving town in a year, which is just uh, absolutely unheard of. <laughs> so that's another big element of it. Yeah, I uh, I definitely feel it as a um, as a father whose son has uh, turned three in January. I it's definitely um, after this year's WTC. I'm definitely pumping the brakes, probably for all tenth edition. Just going to keep it local because um, it's a lot of work, especially uh, with Victor being special needs. Uh, a lot of additional time is needed, um, and to be honest, I want to make sure um, that even if I'm not, you know, being the best dad because i have no idea what i'm doing <laughs> no none least... of us do <laughs> i someone told me that being that being present is the most important yeah. thing um and then honestly a lot of times I've, I've i didn't think it would hit me as much as it did but like there's times when i was away at gts and majors and i just i just missed them i missed mm -hmm. them a lot um and so i didn't realize i was going to miss them so much so but luckily i do have a awesome store uh that is three minutes from my, literally three minute drive from my house um, where I do all my RTTs at. Uh, and even though I'll be at WTC with my entire family, uh, this they do a GT every February and every August. Uh, and this next one is looking like it's going to hit major status. So that is really cool. That's exciting. Uh, yeah, very exciting. So next question. Francois, how's the cycling going? <laughs> so the cycling is going great. Uh, I've rediscovered uh, a passion for cycling. I used to do a lot of it, and I have these wonderful trails near my house along the river. And for some reason, about three years ago, well, actually, I think I know what happened three years ago. <laughs> but uh, for some reason, about three years ago, I, I stopped, and, and the, the, the bike just stayed in the garage and went untouched for a, a few years. And I just started cycling again, and I love it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I started training again for uh, triathlons, and I missed it. And unfortunately, I've lost a week of training due to being sick, which sucks. I'm just kind of itching to get better um, so I can get back on the bike again. Uh, but it's been a lot of fun. Uh, let's see. Thoughts on 10th Man, a lot of 10th edition questions. Thoughts on 10th edition uh, directions with each faction? Do you think GW has enough design space to make every faction feel unique and still be a semi-balanced game? No. Uh, balance. <laughs> they're not going to get the balance. The balance is not going to be right out of the gate. Um, it just never is. Um, it is the big thing with GW is um, they, we now have a balance slash competitive advocate uh, in the instance of Mike Brandt and then his team. Um, but then there's also a lot of people who at GW who they hear they hear the word competitive. And they hear the word balance and they think it's the same thing and they immediately dig in their heels. Mm. Um, also, you have rules writers who, when they kind of go, go nuts and you give them feedback, um, sometimes they take it as a personal attack when it's not really so. And so there's some like there's a little bit of resistance there. Um, this this generally always happens and they are trending in the right direction. But in 10th edition, when 10th edition launches, the game is not going to be balanced. Um, because of the things I said, and then also because of emerging gameplay, you can't 
you can't recreate 14,000 people playing 100,000 games over the course of a couple months or a year with with a dozen or two dozen playtesters. You just can't do it. People are going to find stuff. Wisdom of the crowds is going to prevail. It's going to take a couple balance. It's going to take the that first balance pass three months afterwards, and then the meta is going to shift. Codex is going to come out. People are going to adjust. Terrain's going to evolve. The meta will shift again. The second balance pass will come out. And then at that point, we're going to start getting into where it might actually look balanced. And, and thankfully, they are doing those balance passes now on the regular, which is great. Yep. Um, yeah, but I do think there's enough design space that I think they've nailed the thematicism, I guess, mm -hmm. if that's a word, um, starting with ninth edition and onward. Power level has been all over the place, but thematicism, for the most part, they've nailed it, and I think that's going to continue. That's pretty impressive. I was worried that when they went to index, I was worried that wasn't going to happen, mm -hmm. but it looks like it's going to happen. I think so one one thing worth noting in the macro sense is that like one 40k is so large and so complex that it will it will never be wholly competitively balanced. And then two, I don't even think that's something we necessarily want, right? Like we want some level of imbalance in between factions so that the game is exciting and so that there's motivation to continue to explore options that may not yet have appeared to be optimized, competitive, relevant in the given meta. Um, what I do think is, is more likely is for some semblance of internal balance across factions um, so that there are multiple methods of play within the same book. Um, and I think, I, I think aiming is my hope that the design team is really working on making that the case because I think that will inform the larger meta. I think they are. I agree. Cool. Uh, who, this is from Austin, who wears it better, Sisters or Craft World? Uh, talking to Fate Dice and Miracle oh, Dice, I guess. Craft, craft World, of course. <laughs> craft World is on, it's that mechanic on crack. It's absolutely nuts. Yeah. I, it looks like Sisters will generate more. Um, but the, uh, well, yeah, I, th I think on first glance, uh, it does look like craft worlds do it a little bit better. Cause I'm worried that by the time sisters hit that critical mass, there'll be less assets. They'll be the tabled. Table. Yeah. <laughs> that, so, whereas craft worlds, if they want, they can just front load all 12 of those dice turn one. Yeah. It's uh it's kind of like a 12 in the hand, one in the bush sort of thing. Of course, Sisters uh, will end the game with 49 Miracle Dice, so maybe it balances out in the long run, but I'm very worried that if you match them up yeah. at the head, there's not going to be many Sisters left after turn two. Yeah, I mean, well, it's like ending the game with a bunch of, like, it's like when you end the game and you have a bunch of assets on the table and you have units that, that didn't have a job that last round or two, like, that that meant somewhere along the way you missed an opportunity. Um, the, in the military, they call it economy of force. No unit should be without a job. We lost Cliff again. So... <laughs> Well, see, I could see, I could definitely see that happen with sisters, where they just have a ton of resources yeah. and no outlet. You're making me think of something. I'm going on a bit of a tangent here, but um, people often, when they're learning this game, have this aversion to spending their resources, thinking they have to hoard them, right? But the game only lasts five turns, so if mm -hmm. turn five you still have half your army, well, and you lose, maybe that's worse than if you had none of your army but you win, right? Yeah, people don't like scooping balls. It takes a while to get kind of get out hit that comfort zone. Um, it was, I was kind of, I kind of fell in that trap until I started playing Knights somewhat regularly. And then you just get, you just get used to just vibing out there in the open and getting shot. Um, and that made it, that actually made it easier to play that way with other armies. 
<laughs> Watching Cliff get madder and madder. <laughs> Every time he comes back, he's got more of a scowl on his face. <laughs> uh, from Preston, if you were a hot dog, would you eat yourself? <laughs> Ass. Harry Carey. So good. I would. Yes, totally. I think I'd be like a delicious hot dog. It'd be great. I mean, well, hot dogs don't have nerve endings, so there's no pain. Um, <laughs> and hot dogs, as far as I know, don't burn calories. So it's going to be a net zero all the time. So if you eat yourself, you just stay existing. Oh, it seems like all upside to me. <laughs> Uh, Francois, this is from Jim Stanley, fr- uh, our last guest on the show. Francois, yeah. it was great meeting you. It was great meeting you at All, all is Dust. If I remember correctly, you're an educator too. Do you find any of the skills transferable to the tabletop? Yeah, uh, I think so. Uh, a big part of being a teacher, professor, is being able to understand information and explain it back and make people understand it and so much of this game is predicated on the conversation you're having at the table and making sure that your opponent understands what you're doing and trying to do that i i do think that talking for a living or as my kids when they were young used to say uh, tell stories for a living uh, probably helps me with that aspect of the game quite a bit Do you think, Francois, is there like an element of classroom management skill that you think comes into like smoothing yeah. over? And I say that not in a like, you know, smoothing over or like defusing really tense situations, but the ability to pick up real quickly on like, is my opponent, are they having a good time? Is this about to go badly? How can I like intervene early to make sure that this goes Yeah. Uh, yes, actually. I think that there's, when you're talking in front of a large crowd, doesn't matter what for, um, if, you're, if you're teaching a lecture on civil rights or whatever, you're going to pick up uh, with practice and experience a lot of clues or cues from your, your your audience. For me, the big one is the sound of keyboards, right? Because when I teach, if I'm talking too fast, the keyboard clacking gets very loud. <laughs> and I know that I have to slow down, right? That's, that's one of the cues that I pick up on. Or if students start looking off in the distance, that means that I've probably lost them somewhere along the way. And, and those subtle things do translate to a game of Warhammer. And in the same way, sometimes communicating that you're disappointed in something or you you have a problem or an issue in a diplomatic way that will solve the problem rather than make it worse is something I do daily, right? Currently, right now, I'm teaching an online summer class and it's led to, I'm not sure why, uh, more issues than usual with students not understanding things and requiring <laughs> clarifications and you get those emails and it's all information that's in the syllabus or that you just talked about in the meeting that you recorded on zoom and put on brightspace and all you want to do is reply to the email with are are, are you lazy or stupid right? <laughs> that, that's what goes through your mind but you don't do that because that would cause more problems down the line so you phrase it in a much more polite way that is conducive to making the conversation go forward and actually solving the problem rather than making it worse. And that translates at the tabletop too. And Makes hopefully none of my students are watching. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Uh, there's the hot dog question. I'm using the hot dog question as my, uh, as my this bookmark. Your, this year, that's your orange dot. <laughs> yep. <laughs> 
<laughs> From Grant H, uh, what was your first army? How did you get into 40K, then competitive 40K? Oh. This question for Francois, obviously. So my first army was actually a fantasy army because I started in the early 90s with the second edition fantasy box, which was eye Helfs versus uh, goblins. And you got cardboard models in the box at that point. Uh, very quickly thereafter, I started 40K. This would have been... I don't know what edition 1994 was. We'd have to look it up. <laughs> but the uh, starter box for that was Space Marines, and I forget what the other half of the box was. But I started with a Dark Angels army. Uh, I was looking through the pictures in the book, and I was 12, 13, 14 years old at the time. So I, I was playing with my, my friends from high school in my parents' basement, and I was just flipping through the book and looking at the paint schemes. And for some reason, the Dark Angel paint scheme is the one that jumped out at me. Uh, I think I liked the the bone-colored Terminators, who back then had this kind of First Nations slash Native aesthetic with like feathers and things. And they they retconned that bit of the Dark Angel story a while back. But I remember kind of latching onto that aesthetic and painting the army in that scheme. And I played just for fun in my parents' basement for the next decade, right? And then I moved to the U.S. for my Ph.D., and I didn't have the, the space uh, or really the time anymore to play. So I sold that army, along with a few others that I collected along the way, and I stopped playing Warhammer. That would have been 2005. And then when I moved to Ottawa in the mid-2010s, I was looking for something to do, to be honest, because it was a new city. I didn't have a ton of friends. I had uh, parenting friends. I'm sure you two are familiar. You meet people in like baby swim class and you hang out because <laughs> you don't know anyone else, right? But it wasn't quite as fulfilling as perhaps I needed uh, on the social side of things. And one day I just walked into a, a game store and I saw the models and I I'd never stopped reading lore. So I was still immersed in the universe, but I, I saw the models again. And I was like, oh, I used to love these models and I used to love to paint. I'm going to pick a couple models just to paint, not to play, to paint. And um, now I have 60,000 points of painted 40K models in my basement. <laughs> but the competitive, the competitive stuff I started uh, at the very beginning of 8th edition. And then I proceeded to lose horribly for a couple of years after that. Um, it's like you, you talk to people and... and and I don't know that people realize that in instant success or Warhammer Savants are they exist. Like Anthony was successful very quickly, but I know he put in the work, right? But most people they go to RTTs for years and they get crushed. Uh, I got crushed by Chris Haynes, the Team Canada captain, for years straight at the local monthly RTTs <laughs> before I finally won one, right? And uh, yeah, that's kind of my, my journey through Warhammer, the elevator pitch version of it, anyway. Yeah, it definitely takes a little while uh, for most people before like it clicks. Yeah, and it's like a lot of people, I think, look they spend a little too much over analyzing the individual parts, and they forget to look at the kind of macro level. Like, what are you trying to do here? Um, Anthony had a great story uh, last episode. He was talking. He was playing with Jim, and he was kind of coaching Jim, and they basically he hid the scoreboard from Jim, and he just told Jim just to play Warhammer. Mm -hmm. um and then and then he basically showed him the score afterwards and i felt like that was um that was a pretty good way to do it like if you at least if you're most of the way there but yeah if like you're if you're just you know focusing on what's important and not you know 
losing the woods for the trees, so to speak. Um, that's definitely the, the way to get there. So next question. How do you guys find out about local RTTs tournaments near you? Is it word of mouth from your local store, website like BCP or something else? My local store is great, but not competitively focused. Not sure where to get started. Um, I don't, for as much as BCP sucks, it is, it is generally how I find out about events. Um, when I was traveling a lot, I would use Facebook too, but um, I ended up getting rid of Facebook because especially the past couple of years, it's just terrible for your mental health, in my opinion. And it wasn't, it wasn't worth it to find events. Um, I mm. wasn't going to go to like a random, I wasn't going to go blow up a random GT in Arkansas anyhow. So like, I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> um, but BCP, uh, especially with how much the hobby is growing, I was able to kind of like set, um, look about a month out, set my zip code, um, set the search to like within about 200 miles that will grab, or maybe it was like 150 miles that will grab basically everything from Orlando South. Um, especially on the East coast of Florida, there's a lot of like smaller places that are starting to pop up. Uh, maybe soon the wet, the West coast, which has been a ghost town. Cause it's all blue hairs over there. Um, occasionally they're starting to get uh, people firing our, um, I'm down in the Fort Lauderdale, Miami area, our sister meta up in Palm beach is starting to grow. Mm -hmm. Um, so the hobby is growing. And I think, I think stores and TOs are getting better about learning that just everyone is on BCP anyhow. And if they put their event on BCP, it's kind of like lighting, it's kind of like setting up smoke or lighting the bonfires, you know, um, letting people know that you're here. You know, it's like field of dreams. If you put it on BCP, they will come. Yeah. Um, so that's how I do it. Once, once you've found a couple of events, you, you can join those communities. So if you find a store that has a GT, join their discord. Or if you are on Facebook, like their Facebook page. Um, yeah. I never really had to look for events because I live in the Warhammer capital of Canada. And, and we have the wonderful uh, Dan Morris, whose store is putting events all the time. And, and we have uh, people like uh, Chris and, and Darren who put up Capital City Bloodbath and Canemar Teams. And so I can throw a rock and hit a GT in my local area. That's not a problem. But if you are looking outside of where you live then yeah bcp is the best bet but i will add once you find one like keep in contact with those people through whatever social media means you can the other thing is to yeah. join join the stat check discord um or if you don't like us which would be weird because you're still watching an hour <laughs> plus in uh join the podcast discord of your choice because you're gonna find a lot of folks like in the, in the stat check Discord, we get a lot of folks with like this big geographic diversity Everybody's sharing what events are going on. There's been a remarkable amount of like, yeah, right. I'll travel to come out to that. Um, and that's like, that's like a nice healthy addition. If you have the flexibility and ability to get out to places uh, ahead of time, they're like a decent amount of travel away just to find, find some additional events. Yeah, and if you're right. willing to actually travel long distance, like, and by that I mean fly, well, uh, then to find the events that are worth flying to or traveling to, I think that's the way to do it by, by yeah. finding a community that is global or at least national or North American or whatever, and finding the, the events that people talk about positively and, and maybe you decide you'll go next year because people had fun this year. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of people that travel um, and go to events in, um, in stat check. And for me now, uh, especially if I think looking into the future, going into my forties and everything like that, I think it's more important for me to go to events that I'm just going to enjoy Mm -hmm. um and not necessarily the events that are the biggest so for me that means mostly just finding events that are known quantities uh events that have been 
that have been going for several years or events that are very good about publishing um, really good tournament packets or showing their terrain. And I know the terrain's not gonna be like wildly different from table to table from year to year. Um, or the TO or the, the TO or the judge situation is not gonna wildly change from year to year. Um, like I don't see myself going for a while, but like some of the events that um, that Jeremy runs up in Canada or Dan Morris, stuff like that, like those sound like ones I would hit in the future. Some of the events in the UK, again, selling events I would hit in the future. Um, the reason I always harp on Nova, um, Nova is a very well-run event. Um, some people like just like their terrain setup because um, they used, it was the, the originator, the Nova L, the two big L's in the center. And then the rest of the terrain really didn't do much. Um, but because of COVID, they were mostly shut down for most of the 9th edition. So I'm not really sure how that translated to 9th edition. We'll see how it translates in 10th. But going to events that are known quantities, and especially if you can go with like friends or a social group. So that way, if you go and the terrain isn't what you like, or you don't perform as well as you like, or you have that one game, that one rare game against a bad actor that kind of like threatens to ruin your whole weekend, at least at that point, you can cut your losses and turn it into a social group or social outing with your friends. But if you're just there by yourself and you don't know anyone, and then you perform worse than expected, or you have a tilting game, or you get surprised by terrain, now you're just sad and you're far from home. Yeah, And so. if you do go by yourself, find friends. I know it's easier said than done, and, and many of us in the gaming community are introverts, but you have something in common with that person that you're talking to, Warhammer. <laughs> just talk about Warhammer. Yeah. I would just invite yourself to dinner. Yeah. <laughs> um, so next question, how has the general reception been to X1 and are you at all surprised by it? I'm going to pitch this one to Cliff because I think Cliff has fielded most of the uh, feedback for the show. Yeah, I um, think um, it's been like remarkably positive. I don't think it hasn't been surprising because I sort of thought that like, Within 40K, I think there are a lot of folks in that range between like 30 and like 45, where they still really enjoy playing the game and it's a big part of their lives. Um, but also there are just these steps, there's like only so many hours in the day and the amount of stack of responsibilities that come with like growing older, furthering your career. Um, if you have a partner, spending time with them in, a, in like a high quality way. If you're beginning a family, the amount of time and stress and the intensity of having children and raising them um, to be good people, like that just the amount of time that takes, but also still wanting to like- Or just keeping play. them alive is hard enough, never mind yeah, making them good people. Dead, <laughs> not dead. Um, it just takes a lot of time, but people still also wanna be like, they wanna stay up to date on game. They wanna be good. They wanna paint their models really well. Um, they want to push themselves because there's like intrinsic motivation to be good at the thing that we all spend so much time on. Um, so I think it wasn't surprising, but it, ha it has been one, like remarkable and two, like really, I don't know, I, I come out of every episode. Um, one, just thinking like, man, Tim is so good <laughs> at doing this thing that the show is about. Uh, and is such a good player and has so many, so many great suggestions of like how to improve and how to use your time really well. Um, and then two, like every guest we have shares these qualities. And I'm like, man, this is like, they're out there. Like we're out here trying to balance all these things and many people are doing it really successfully. Um, so I think it's it's been good. And I'm really excited for the audience to expand further to like really ensure, just like show more people that it is possible to do this thing of 40K really well 
and have a good time and be a good person and be a good worker and have a successful career and be a good dad and all that stuff. Um, hey, as a fan of the show and a listener, I'm not surprised. A middle-aged dad is actually describes a lot of people I know who play Warhammer. So yeah. that's kind of like inbuilt audience right there. Yeah, I describe this game as like a kind of like a nerdy bowling league to like a lot of a lot of my my friends stuff like that. Like weirdly enough, my wife's coworkers are like super curious about. It. I guess they ask her about it all the time, and she's she knows enough about it and is supportive enough to be able to like kind of hit the highlights. You know, like if she she knows enough where she can like describe it accurately without going to like jargon and stuff like that, which is just the perfect amount. Um, and then she's definitely entertained me sometimes and listened to me talk. And then I can tell when I'm starting losing her. I'm like, eh, we're done. Let's go watch. <laughs> let's go watch some episodes of MASH or something. Um, but yeah, a bunch of my teammates uh, from my team, Miami Dice, um, have jokingly like said, hey, you know, there needs to be like a, like a dad hammer podcast or something like that. Um, and they've been saying that for years. So you know, when, when Cliff and I finally were able to clear out time and do this, you know, is it it's not surprising, but it's also surprising and humbling the the feedback and everything, you know, it's just, even if you're expecting it, when you get it, it's, it's truly humbling and, and yeah. definitely an honor to get the feedback. Um, and if it, it feels good, like it was like, it makes it feel like it was worth doing. Um, so that's, I don't really know what else to say about that. We're excited to keep doing it as long as, uh, as long as people support us. The only semi semi related to what you just said, but you ever been to dinner with a bunch of Warhammer people after like a tournament or a team event, and everyone's wearing their club jerseys with their names on the back, and then the wait staff is curious to know what you're doing because you know <laughs> wondering. Well, your story about the bowling league reminded me of the time that my good friend Will Paul spent an entire dinner pretending we were a bowling league after a team <laughs> event, <laughs> and we... talked with the witches about our bowling league the entire time. Our, our for we had a very similar thing. You got you got to remember our team is Miami Dice. All right, and I, I would should have if I knew we were going to get into this topic, I would have brought my jerseys to show. Um, so our current jersey is white with kind of like a vaporwave, um, you know, like kind of pink and teal, like Love Miami it. Dice logo. Right? Love it. Our first logo was just hot magenta pink with like <laughs> bright teal. And it said Miami Dice, and it was just so incredibly wild and brash and everything. And I remember we were at GW Open Orlando, and there was like 10 or 12 of us wearing this ridiculous thing. And the way the waitress, she just straight, I don't think she meant it offensively, but she straight up asked if we were a gay soccer team. And we just <laughs> we just said yes and just yeah. went with it. Like, because it looked yeah. like a soccer jersey. And we were just like, yes, yes, we are. And, uh, and we just kind of like, but no further questions were asked. And we just, we just roll with that. Yeah. Um, all right. So next question. What is this? Is from DJ Logan Sama. 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 Sorry, I'm sorry if I'm butchering your name. Um, what? What's all the dad's airbrush setup? Does anyone live in an apartment? I just had to rebuild my whole office room so I could put a painting setup by the window for the extraction. Man, mm -hmm. this would have been a great, great question for last uh, last episode with Jim. I think he. I think he actually mentioned it. I think he said he used um, he used the booth and he used several layers of filtration. And the amount of layers of filtration he used actually caused me to have like a brief existential crisis of like, <laughs> like, am I am okay? I going okay. okay. to have like, am I going to get like lung disease or something like that? Because he used like two more layers than I was using. I was like, Ugh. 
Yeah, well, um, I did I, have a, a panicky moment uh, a while back where I did a very long priming session with my airbrush in, in my basement in, in the booth with the fan and the filter. And then I blew my nose and it came out like primer black. So, uh, yeah, you do have to watch that. <laughs> Make sure your filtration system is enough. And if you're going to do like a six hour session, put on a mask. Uh, yeah, I use I use the I use the air. I do kind of a similar thing. I use the um, the little boost, the hundred dollar boost they sell on Amazon. They're, we they're, probably they're have very, the same they're, one. Yeah. They're very <laughs> they're very yeah the gray ones with the blue flip. They're very cheap, but yeah. they're, they're fine. I use that, um, and then now thanks to Jim, I put uh, paper towels behind it. Yep, that one. That, that exact, exact one. one. Yep. I put a paper towel behind it thanks to Jim because now he's got me scared. Um, and I do I do use a. Um, from Home Depot, a uh, 3M uh, particular filter. Yeah. Um, and that, I hope that's good enough. Yeah. Same, same setup. Um, it's actually right here. My like painting desk just can't be seen because of the angle, which I have to do because I'm on Zoom for work all day. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just like sort of saying, I'm, I'm directly in front of a window. That's like my home office thing. So I teach Zoom right. classes to hundreds of students with black library books in the background. Killing it. Oh, yeah. You can see back here. There's like a <laughs> night over there on my GW stuff. Um, oh, yeah. You, you can see like 2,000 points of chaos. No, more like 4,000 points of chaos behind me. So, yeah, I'm not scared about the that. Uh, next question. Oh, Jim actually answered that. That's perfect. Um, yeah, he's just so many filters. Jim has got me kind of worried. <laughs> <laughs> you do get a mask though for real if you're airbrushing you're not already wearing one yeah. of those like full face and mouth 3m masks like go get that because to francois's point like you are breathing in paint particles for sure uh yeah take care of yourself yeah uh you only get one set of lungs uh from Innes, francois what's the worst nickname you're willing to accept us using <laughs> well, that's not how nicknames work Innes. <laughs> other people give you a nickname Although at least you guys are being very good at pronouncing my name right, which I appreciate, because when I lived in the U.S. for the longest time, I was uh, called Francois Lalande. What? What part of the U.S. What? <laughs> yeah, because so here's the thing: the soft C isn't really a thing, so Francois, and the silent S isn't a thing either. So they'd try and pronounce it, and it would come out as Francois, and then the silent E at the end of my last name sounds Mexican, I guess. So I got Francois Lalande a lot. What? Where were you? Boston. Yeah, where were you? Oh, that's oh, why. God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. All right. No, I'll, I'll just let that one speak for itself. Um, well, from, I was, I was from, on stream for, for uh, Capital City Bloodbath for the finals in August last year, and Peter DeFalcon decided to mispronounce my name on purpose. And it was funny the first time, but by the 32nd time, it wasn't anymore. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we have a we have a lot of French Canadians down here in South Florida. So, Francois is not that not not an uncommon name. No, it's a, probably the most common French name you could have as well. So I don't. <laughs> uh, from Jake B, if each you only had thirty minutes in the evening to quote work on forty k, what would you do? Paint, deploy your army in TTS. Definitely not TTS. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not a fan of TTS. Probably paint. If I only had 30 minutes, painting is very manageable in short chunks of 30 minutes. Yeah. Uh, anything else, 30 minutes is a little short. Even if you're, well, you could practice deployment, I guess. Yeah. Um, hmm. I would, I'm going to say it's an, let's just say it's an hour, just yeah. for like the sake of being a little more realistic. Um, I would, 
probably the best way is assume assume you had someone to hop on you in TTS. I would say the best way would be get your get your friend to load up like an Iron Hands or a Guard Army, practice deployment, and then and then have them go and try to shoot you. Mm-hmm. And then after they shoot you, what secondaries can you score? Can you get on the objectives? Can you can you get to like your rod or banners, or whatever? That would be a decent way. Um, the next decent way would be um, whatever. Not now, obviously, because we're about to go into a new edition. But whatever faction you have the least amount of reps into, go go into Wahapedia, look up the data sheets that show up in every single meta list, and like really look at the stats. And then below it, it shows what strats can be used on those data sheets. Look at those stratagems. That's so actually probably the best bang for your buck. What you, what you just said makes me change my answer. If you only actually have 30 minutes and your goal is to get better at competitive 40K, read Wapedia for 30 minutes a day. Yep. 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 That That's the biggest thing. Is like, I, do, I do that a lot. Whatever army I just don't have reps into, but I also, I know is a decent enough army where if I run into it and I don't, in an event, I don't know what it's going to do, then I stand a very good, very good chance potentially losing that game. Um, you've, if you're on, if you're on stat check or if you're or if you're like tuned into the meta at all or if you're on bcp you can generally kind of suss out what's showing up in every single list you know all it takes is going to a couple articles on goonhammer or following on like art of war or whatever and most lists are about 85 90 percent the same so go to those data sheets that show up in every single meta list and find out why they're in every single meta list and that will that will help you out a lot uh, Francois, how does it feel to be the premier advec player for the Canadian WTC team? We're just going full on inside jokes tonight, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> so context on that one. Jeremy is a cruel taskmaster and will decide what faction I play for the WTC and knows that Admec is one of a very small number of factions that I really don't like. And so he's been teasing me for a couple of weeks now and uh, telling me that I'm going to be playing Admec, which I will not. <laughs> uh we are almost done uh what classic pop punk album exemplifies the x and one ethos good luck on the show tonight folks sadly can't listen in uh man who are either one of you guys big music nerds because i am completely out of my depth on that one uh, i i don't know what that music style is super i listen crazy. to like french electronic music and like trap exclusively <laughs> so i don't know all right I dig the trap music. We'll sh- we'll shelve that one. We'll answer that one. I'll just tell you what, I'm going to actually pin that one because I do want to give him an answer, but it will be next episode. Yeah. And pinned. Yeah, pin it. Okay. Uh, at what stage of dadhood does one need to learn pickleball? I have yeah. never learned pickleball, but I love racquetball. I will. Uh, I will. Yeah. I will straight up take people to town on racquetball. Challenge any of you. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not even sure I know what pickleball is. is so, <laughs> it's like junior tennis. Uh, okay, yeah. basically. Um, yeah, sure. you don't got to do that. Play real, you play do pickleball, or you do racquetball, or racquetball, or squash. Those are all great. I like racquetball because you only you only get a good workout when you're the one losing. <laughs> if you're the one, if you're the one winning, you need to move like three feet. Because like I, once you start to once the start to fall behind, you go reactive. Like the other guys just gonna oof. make you run all over the place. It gets bad. Uh, let's see. 
Curved or straight croissants? Also, do you pronounce the I in the word? Question for everyone but Francois. No. <laughs> uh, uh, well, when I say croissant, is that I being pronounced? It's croissant. So the T, the T is silent. Croissant. 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 Which I say only tongue in cheek because in the U.S. you just like you're like let me get a croissant. Yeah, of course. <laughs> just like you call it Sauvignon Blanc. <laughs> the C is also silent in that one. You prefer to say Savvy B just to save even more time. This is why I always. This is always why why I always visit Banff, Canada, and in uh, West Canada instead of French Canada. <laughs> Listen, as long as you stay in Montreal, you'll have no issues speaking English. It's when you go off in the interlands that it might get dicey. Yeah. Um, I didn't even know. I didn't even know they had straight versions. Yeah, what, what does a straight one look like? So, yes, they do make straight ones. It's basically instead of curving them like this, they just make them straight. Just a square. Okay. I feel right. like that would look ridiculous. Well, they're yeah. so pointy. They're, they're just. It's like a mustache. Like a, well, actually, the, the, the better ones at the bakery near where I live are straight. Huh. Yeah. If I ever come up there for an event, I'll. I need to find these mystical straight ones. I feel like you're pulling my leg. I feel like they don't. No. Learn. I'll, yeah. I'll send you pictures. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I, I'm. Oh, it's the same. It's, it's still it, it's still pointy, but instead of taking the dough and curving it like this, they just pull it straight. Got it. All right. I feel like it's it's like mocking God to his face. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give it a try. Uh, let's see. How do you Warhammer? We're working twelve to sixteen hours a day, six seven days a week. Uh, that sounds like you need to be working on an industrial revolution, not Warhammer. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you don't. You don't really do that. That's why I don't really get to play as many games as I'd like to. <laughs> yeah. So, so my my job is weird because the schedule is highly variable and very flexible, and there are weeks where I get like four hundred things to grade dumped on me, and sure I have TAs, but that means I have to actually be a boss to some grad students to do the grading. So those weeks where I actually work a lot, I, there's not a lot of Warhammer happening. But on weeks where, because my classes have been ready for, for years and I don't really need to do a ton of new prep and it's not midterm season and I have time to like take an afternoon off and play a game of Warhammer, right? So you got to balance the two. But if you're actually doing 60-hour weeks, and then you can't. Yeah, I uh, with air traffic control, you kind of end up in this weird situation where like you work five to six days a week. Um, but unless you're really old, you're going to work nights and weekends. And even though I work five, six days a week, I'm actually only working like three and a half, four hours a day. So I have a lot of time to like play in Battlescribe, play in Wikipedia, shit talk on Discord, stuff like that. But it's actually hard to like get to games, get to events, because they're all happening while I'm at work. You know, if I need to travel, sometimes that's like, that's like three or four days of uh, paid time off I'm having to use. Um, so I can definitely feel the pain where I can like be, I can invest a lot of time in the hobby, but I actually don't see a lot of payout and benefit to it. Cause like when it actually comes to like the events, you know, where the rubber hits the road, I just don't make it. So that mm -hmm. kind of sucks. So when I go to events, like a special occasion for me. Depending on the um, work you do, cause I, I probably spend somewhere between nine and 12 hours a day working. Um, but I'm also a fully remote worker. So if you're like, if you have time in between meetings, um, on Zoom or what you know, whatever your like remote team meeting option is, um, squeeze some time in a read Wikipedia. Um, 
that like I usually get like dashboard updates done in between meetings and like a quick like hour <laughs> trying to slide that in. Uh, it helps in my painting tables right here. So being able to just like literally turn my chair like this, <laughs> I will dry brush now for the next 15 minutes. Uh, that stuff helps. You just try to squeeze it in where you can. And then sometimes you just stay up until two in the morning reading, yeah. messing around. I, I, you do. A common a common element of the show is um, or common theme of the show is time optimization and um, time management. Uh, so yeah, like some people they really enjoy you know there's the whole like Tim Tim Johnny Spike kind of thing that applies mm -hmm. to uh, Warhammer that um, it's from Magic Gathering but applies to Warhammer too. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar, Spike is the guy who just likes he's all about optimization and winning. Johnny is all about creative expression or skill expression. And Timmy is the one who just likes the big things. Like he likes like big night models, or he likes roll lots of dice, or big explosions, or big things happening. Most people are a combination of two or three of them. Um, I'm very much kind of halfway between Spike and Timmy. But anyhow, um, the thing is, is if you are a Johnny type player, if you like skill expression and you like finding your own way and doing stuff, um, you have to understand that your road to success is going to be slower if you are time constrained because Warhammer is a complicated game. Skill um, list building um, and staying up to date in the meta is a complicated process um, with a lot of a lot of controls and a lot of uh, elements, and it takes time if you're going to do it all by yourself and you're going to try to be unique. Um, and if you don't have that time, you are not. You are going to have to manage your expectations and the results you're going to get. Unfortunately, that's really the only way I can. That's the nicest way to put it. If you're Timmy, doesn't matter how many games you get. Bring big stuff. Bring powerful stuff. Go boom. If you're Spike, and this is where my Spike kind of comes over, I just look at uh, Goonhammer. I look at stat check. Whatever. I crowdsource. I'm like, okay, if multiple people across multiple skill levels are taking. Um, X, Y, and Z units in uh, X sub-faction and are getting X results against the meta sub-factions, um, then generically, like, I should get similar results assuming that I'm playing it on an average, comp like, on the average skill curve. And I do. And then hopefully, like, I can, if I'm playing into someone who's better than me, hopefully maybe they're playing a matchup, uh, a list that my army matches up slightly better in. Or if I'm playing a bad matchup, Hopefully, maybe I'm a little bit better than that person. I can leverage a mistake or skill bench. Um, so that's how I optimize my time personally. If any of that makes sense. Uh, anyone else got anything on that before I go to the next question? Yeah, it's dead on. Cool. Uh, what is, oh, that's Bluey. Okay. Uh, Jake B says pick one. <laughs> uh, Bandit. Or chili, so it's the mom or the dad. Um, I'm gonna go with bandit just because when COVID hit and I, they compartmentalized uh, ATC. They basically they split our crew, our facility of sixty people, and they split us into nine different crews with minimal overlap. That way, in case any of us, um, anyone got sick, they could basically quarantine the entire crew and minimize spillover. Um, and there was way less traffic going on. So basically, um, I had way more time at home than I normally did. It was very refreshing. Um, and I, it kind of felt in some ways like I was a stay-at-home dad. And I really, really, really got to bond with my son. Um, especially because Cindy at the time was on six-day work weeks, um, which she never lets me live down. Um, <laughs> but I really, really, really got to bond with my son. 
Uh, and so Bandit is a war it, um, from the show Bluey is a work from home dad. Um, and so I kind of see that a lot. Um, so I'm going to go with him. Although Chili is super cool too. We're a French speaking asshole. So I've never watched Bluey. <laughs> you should. It's a good show. It's uh, a good show. I've heard great things. I'm just saying my kids watched French TV, not Australian TV. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it's good. It's so good. Definitely. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's because we love the show, Jay. Uh, yeah, Jay. Yeah, sorry, I take it. I take it. Sometimes I, I had to stop myself because sometimes I could suck all the air out of the room and I could just <laughs> I could just go way too far. So I had to like catch myself. I'm like I'm just going down a rabbit hole. So I didn't want to like lose you guys. No, um, but yeah, hope, Jake. Hopefully, hopefully that helps. Um, cool. So we are almost done. Alex says, uh, "Have you super chatted doing your own live show yet, Tim?" Yes, I already did my obligatory super chat. <laughs> <laughs> and the last uh, question: question for Francois from all the faction focuses so far. Which one has you most excited going to the start of tenth edition? Ooh. Um... I mean, they're all pretty great, to be honest. And I, I'm not super emotionally attached to any given faction. Um, yeah, that uh, all except Death Guard and Admech. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a I've got a question for you guys, and this is inspired from random basketball podcasts that I listen to. Uh, hopefully, you don't have to tell long stories about it, but I think it'll be interesting to know. One, when did you like realize that there were like levels to this game that you were previously unaware of? Like what was your first encounter where you're like, oh shit, people are really good at this. I remember that moment very well. Uh, I, 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 I remember the, the exact moment I had that realization. And it was at one of those RTTs that I went on, that I went to early on when I was getting into the competitive side of the game. And I played against Chris Haynes current captain of Team Canada, and he was playing orcs. And I had in my head a very defined version of how orcs should play, right? Big mob of orcs, and they run at you, and they, like, hit you. That's not how he was playing orcs at all. And turn one of the game, he jumps a giant unit of 30 boys and then strings them in a line across the table, pinning me in my deployment zone. <laughs> and I looked at the board, and I went, huh, you can do that. <laughs> I've lost this game, and it's not even begun yet. And that's when the light bulb went off, and I'm like, there are lots of levels through this game and i am net i am not at that level tim how about you uh similar thing um the first very rude introduction was when i played against local menace mark parker uh he used to win a lot of art boys way back in the day uh in like i'm talking about like first edition or something like that i don't know like half edition um and that stupid relic shock attack gun lifted up like a quarter like a third of my army and that's kind of like the ooh, welcome to thunderdome moment um and that was more like brute force more than like anything else but he the guy just generally he plays aggressively he just generally doesn't make mistakes and he is very comfortable with chaotic board states and if you blink you know when he when he lunges at you if you blink you know and he stat checks you like it's over um so you kind of have to like He's always good at vibe checking. Um, then the first time I played John Lennon, and he basically let me table his army, but he just kept nickel and dining points to me uh, with his white scars versus my sisters. Um, and then the last and final time was like a couple of weeks ago when I played uh, Sean Naden. 
And I played him with my slash rush versus orcs with zero shooting and zero fight last in his list. And I was like, oh, it should be a sure thing. And he was just very good at the um, mitigating my interrupts and my my activations where I just could never really, I was always having to activate like 70% of my unit into stuff that had already fought or grots or, or transports. And, um, and I, I flubbed, it was a little bit of nerves. I flubbed the game so much that first game where it, was, it just wasn't even a game anymore. And I was like, Hey man, let's just, can I just get like a, a redo of this like two days from now, you know, like it was like Wednesday. I think we played again, like on Thursday or Friday and it was much more, it felt much more of a real game, but I still never had a chance. Um, and he didn't do anything that blew my mind. It's just, he did everything that I knew how to do, but he never really got relaxed on it. He just executed better and it was cleaner and just every little aspect of the game to the minute detail was just better. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's that accumulation just becomes yeah. like exponential when you do it enough. And that's kind of like, it's just over the past couple of years, I've really seen the jump from like, 90th percentile to 99th percentile to 99.9 percentile and just seeing like what it takes is just mind-boggling um and you can't even comprehend it when when i try to explain what sean did to me to like someone who's like new to the game i I don't think it would even i I don't even think it would translate um but yeah that's that's what i've seen uh follow up there is when did you realize that like you had become pretty good at this game I, I still have the imposter effect. Uh, I'm, I'm not. I'm not sure. I feel I am good at this game, even though like the, the results are there. I objectively am right, but yeah. I I always go into a game thinking I'm losing, and this is a bad habit of mine that I have, where throughout the game I'll think I'm losing. I'll think I'm losing. I'll say I'm losing, and then I'll end up winning somehow. Um, but I guess the first GT win probably is the like okay, I might actually be legit at this moment. I think, yeah, I, I was not, I wasn't nodding like thinking that you're an imposter. I don't think you're an imposter. But I was nodding ahead <laughs> that I, I get the imposter syndrome too. Like I'm still, I'm in the Team USA Discord and it's like day 105. They still don't really, they still don't <laughs> you know, like that sort of thing. Um, I think that's but, good though um, because it drives you right. If if you if you think you're all that and you're the best there is, you're not going to have the motivation to keep improving. Yeah, no, there's no rest. Um, I think. That's what drives me personally, anyhow, is not necessarily any particular accolade, but just continuing to get pressured by opponents is what drives me. Um, anyone who can give me a good game is someone I'll strive to like play games against like multiple times. Uh, and if I if I bounce off a particular player, that that like activates something in me. Like I don't I don't just go like quit you know like um i know some that happens to some people they just they just bounce off that one shark at their local and they're just like yeah they just they just kind of quit um that didn't happen to me i like going to a training montage um <laughs> i bounced but, off for like two straight years before i started winning so you know <laughs> i i when people um, ask me what it takes to get a phd my answer is the same as what it takes to be a good warmer player be unreasonably persistent yeah that, that, that was probably the biggest thing i don't I, like i said i still it's it's hard to describe because like it's um trying to think how to describe it it's like once you kind of dip into that thing of like knowing you start to realize um the imposter syndrome it's like you realize how much you actually don't know you know Mm -hmm. once you crest that first hill of improvement 
you see like how much further that is to go. Like when you hit that 90% mark, you're kind of like, holy crap, the next 10% is insane. Yeah. And then when you get to 99, when you get to 99% and you, and you get, you get beat by someone who's like at 99.9%, you're like, I'm never going to hit that. <laughs> like, you know, how? like how? I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure, like, I'm pretty sure, like, if you go, like, generically, the top five of the ITC, I know ITC is a terrible metric, but, like, say top five ITC or top five ELO or CRS, whatever, I'm pretty sure the top five to ten could run circles around 11 through 20, like, huge circles. Yeah. And it's hard, it's hard to truly describe that until, like, you, in that position, you play. The, the weirdest thing for me, and that's probably at the root of a lot of my, I think I'm losing, I think I'm losing, is when I look at a at a game, in my head, it's very clear to me what my opponent needs to do to win the game. And so I always think, oh, I'm, I'm in a mistake there. I gave him that opening. If he does that, he wins. And then you have to realize that most of the time, the opponent isn't going to do that because they're not seeing the game from the same angle or perspective that you are and i don't know if i'm actually answering the question and saying that but it's something that i've realized recently that you have to be careful in projecting your own vision of how the game's going to go onto your opponent and expecting them to do things in a certain way because most of the time they actually won't yeah great answer uh let me check do we have any Double check to make sure we don't have any more answers in or questions in chat. So, what? Why did I do emotional damage to hybrid five five one one seven? I don't know what that's. Five, hybrid five five one one seven. Who are you, mystery, comment, mystery commentator? Why yeah. did I do emotional damage? To pretty him? sure that's Nathan. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it is too. But I like making fun of the fact that he has such a generic username. Killed it. Way to keep it anonymous on these internets. Right, we got yeah, to we yeah, one guy. When Gene Sealer cults, Francois, uh, I, I don't know if uh Gene Sealer cults are good and Jeremy wants me to play them for WTC, I'll steal someone's army because I don't own them. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not Colt. buying an army. Gene Sealer cult is my favorite army to live vicariously through other people. Yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's it's also actually, like the, that is the best description of Gene Sealer cult I've ever heard. <laughs> It's like the 40k faction I feel like I would actually get caught up in in real life because it'd be like, hell yeah, let's revolt, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, man, we're just going to get eaten by bugs? This is not what I signed up for. This is rough. It's it's just, like, I, I also just think it's so cool that it's like, it, it does the, like, it does the whole, like, avoiding damage the same way that, like, Eldar does, but it does it in a cool way. Yeah, but... love it. Man, that hobby tax is, that hobby tax and the brain tax is Sky immense. High. My my favorite, to... my favorite Gene Slayer cult interaction was playing a guy at Capital City Bloodbath, and uh, he, he starts to explain to me how his army works and what this character does and that character does, and it's all super complicated. And I just stopped him mid-sentence and said, I'm not going to remember any of this in five <laughs> seconds. And then I just asked like three questions, and we went. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely like, you definitely kind of like learn to figure out, you're kind of like, okay, like what is... You, what are the end result questions? Like, can you do out of phase stuff? You know, can yeah. like who has a, at a point charge? Yeah, <laughs> get a long well, run. Time, if if I think I'm outside your threat range, am I suddenly going to be in it? If I get to a point where like I've reached the last branch of decision making, can you suddenly like 
move away and all of a sudden like my my chain of decision making is like now like null and void you know like that kind of stuff i don't really care like which character does the bebop or pulls the you know the slap <laughs> or the bop it you know do whatever you know i just don't care <laughs> all right gents uh that is looks like it's it do you guys have a uh, cliff you, you were kind of in and out and you joined us kind of late man do you have any uh any last thing you want to kind of add or anything like that thanks everybody for tuning in Francois, you're the man. Thanks uh, for having yeah. me. That was super fun. Thanks for, thanks thanks Francois, for Francois, yeah. Thanks for coming. Uh, any plugs or anything? Now it's time to do it, man. Well, when 10th edition rolls around, keep your eyes peeled on your podcast feeds for the return of the Canamer podcast, currently Woo. in hiatus. All right. Uh, yeah, for the folks at X1, again, thank you, Francois. Thank you, uh, thank you, listeners and viewers. Thank you all. Uh, stat check uh, Discord personnel. Uh, make sure to check out our uh, the main show. Um, and then also make sure to check out, uh, enter the matrix, uh, some of the best content in my opinion, that's out there for 40 K. And, uh, I guess we will see you guys in, uh, two weeks with more 10th edition info. See ya. Cheers. Peace. For more shows like this, check out the Goonhammer media network. More info at media.goonhammer.com.